I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on a Monday morning for the last regular season review of the 2023 NFL season, Sam. Oh, man, we did it already. That's it. Done. You know, the, time flies. They're saying that all the time, but it's like, really? It's really moving fast. Yeah. Already through. Feels like it was just Labor Day. Regular season's done. Now yeah. it's only playoffs. We were just at training camp, watching the Colts, watching Lions, Jags. We were just there, but here we are, week 18. Got to review all the games. We'll touch on every game, but clearly the football meant more in some games than others. Yeah. We'll focus on that, but there's already a lot of fallout. There's already been one firing. It's you know what they call Black Monday here Just in one. The NFL. Didn't make it to Monday. Just one. Yeah. yeah. Arthur. Uh, Falcons head coach Arthur Smith was fired before midnight last night. It's always rough. Um, third straight year, the Falcons finished 7-10 and 10 and with the eighth overall pick. Yeah. Three straight years. We'll talk about that when we get to Falcons Saints, but um, we'll go through the whole thing. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Week 18 started on Saturday afternoon. It was the Pittsburgh Steelers 17, Baltimore Ravens 10. Steelers moved to 10 and 7. This put them in position. They needed a win to get in. They also needed some help. They got the help they needed. And the Steelers are going to be the seven seed in the AFC with their 10 and 7 record. Of course, the Ravens were already clinched at number one. So they weren't playing starters. It was Tyler Huntley getting the start there. But the Steelers, man, take care of business after almost blowing the season. Right, They were the team that did not have good underlying metrics. They weren't mm. playing all that well, but they had all the wins. And then they lost to the Cardinals and the Patriots back-to-back yeah. weeks, but they've come back these last few weeks to sneak into the playoffs. Right, then they didn't have the wins, and then everything was in free fall. Yeah, they, were, they felt like a team in trouble for a while, and they lose two games that they, they were supposed to win, um, and then the fields are bad as well. Now George Pickens is, is creating problems. Now there's talk about, do you even want Tomlin as your head coach? Uh, he's going to finally have his losing season. And then, of course, no, goes on a, a winning run, gets them all out of the way, and gets them into the playoffs. So job done, I guess, from that perspective. Um, yeah, this was – it was going to be easier given that they were facing the Baltimore backups. Uh, it was made more difficult by the conditions. Ugly rain. You were tweeting out Mason Rudolph's hand size, I think, weren't you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really a factor, I don't think. I know he fumbled, but – I don't think the rain was a, was an issue for him in this game, whereas it was an issue for other people. I mean, they could barely hand the ball off in the first quarter. Yeah, the uh, the hand size thing. He's above the threshold, though. He's oh, above he just nine, though, right? He's like nine and a quarter. He's or something? nine in an eighth. An eighth. Yes. Okay. Um, and you know, the NFL always says that the nine inch hand is is the cutoff. As long as you're at nine, you know, above nine is better. And we actually have seen Jared Goff, who's right at nine, yeah. have trouble in the rain. Sure. He's had to. Uh, I, I, the fa- I, famous in my head pass. I don't think anyone else remembers it, but he, when they played Washington a few years ago, Goff had a pass where he wasn't actually gripping it. It was actually resting on his hand, like literally like a pie, yeah. and he tossed it and actually pie. made it. They call it a pie thrower, and he actually got it there. It was, it was beautiful. So, um, he threw it like a pie. I figured I'd throw it out there, but Rudolph finished 18 of 20 for 152. The big play, though, and what a fascinating Steelers offense. It was their fifth, I think it was their fifth 70-plus yard pass play of the season 
it may have been 50 plus, but they've got five of those explosive plays. They have at least three or four above 70. A 71 yarder to Deontay Johnson, um, which put the Steelers up. And again, in those conditions, it was really insurmountable. They put them up 14 to seven. They added another field goal to go up 17 to seven. And the Ravens were really struggling to move the ball. And when Tyler Huntley did make a few good throws, they were the, the Ravens had all the drops mm. on their side. Um, but it was Deontay Johnson over the middle of the field, 71-yard touchdown that ended up being the big difference in the game. The Steelers did a nice job running the ball, too. Najee yeah, Harris again. just kept grinding it out. 112 yards for Najee, another 33 for Jalen Warren. I mean, last two weeks, their ground game has been really impressive. Um, but the other thing is, like, what a difference. I mean, okay, Deontay Johnson has the big play, but the pass game didn't really do much at all. Uh, I mean, Rudolph, when he attempted 20 passes, only had like 150 yards. And most of it came on that one big play to to Deontay Johnson. But the other element is, like, George Pickens didn't get a single target in the game, let alone a catch. And he was fine with it. You know, they won. They got to the playoffs. George Pickens seemed cool. Whereas earlier in the year, there have been games where Pickens is not involved. They're struggling to move the ball. And he's visibly pissed off on the sideline, like, you know, doing the whole pouting thing. And they're like, uh-oh, we got to deal with Pickens. Get him involved. I mean, they didn't have him involved at all in this game, and nobody cared because apparently winning cures all. Tomlin got to him. He got to him. Maybe. Or maybe just, you know, winning the game is the thing, not whether he's, he's the cause or not. Um, if you've looked at PFF grades and wondered why Mason Rudolph at 18 for 20 does not have a good passing grade, there's two turnover-worthy plays in there. Um, a pass over the middle that uh, with a dropped interception that um, – the safety would have had a nice little run after the catch had he picked it off. And then a fumble just before the half by Rudolph, which is kind of hilarious. He's, he's under pressure, and he just kind of throws it up, tries to throw it late, but it's a fumble. So he had a couple rough turnover-worthy plays in there. But overall, for whatever you want to say, the, uh, the Steelers' offense has looked better with Mason Rudolph. I know they couldn't throw the ball, but I think that was more condition-wise. Yeah, He has done something. Like, something's been better about this offense with Rudolph there. I don't – I mean, I don't think it's going to carry them that far into the, through the playoffs or anything like that, but it has been better these last few weeks. These playoffs are so wide open, though. Like, any team winning any game at least once doesn't shock me. No, like, I know. I mean, me, I'm, I'm not going to doubt like, I don't anything think, can happen. Yeah, I don't think Pittsburgh or Tampa Bay or a couple other teams are good caliber playoff teams, but if you're telling me they're making it through the wild card round, I'm not a, the least bit surprised. Um, so the big, the biggest story for Pittsburgh coming out of this, besides making the playoffs, getting the help that they needed, was T.J. Watt. Um, so he's going to finish. He has two sacks in this game um, to finish his uh, league-leading total, whatever that number was, by the NFL. But he's he's led the league. Uh, one was a cleanup. One was was really clean, a clean win off the edge. But T.J. Watt injured at the end of the game, knee injury. It's uh, was it an MCL, I believe. It's, it's a normally a multi-week injury mm. that Watt has. It's not torn or anything like that, but obviously they're a different team when he's out there. They've done a nice job building the edge rushers around him with Alex Highsmith and Marcus Golden's there and Herbig's there, but, man, they need T.J. Watt, and I don't know if he's even able to go in uh, a week's time when they play Buffalo. Yeah, potentially a huge loss uh, for them, absolutely key signature player i you know they're better i think they're better equipped this year to deal with his, his loss than they have been in the past but it's still a huge loss i mean there's no way around that um and then as for baltimore of course um, they're going to finish the year 13 and 4 we know they're the number one seed 
Um, they're going to have a Saturday game and then two weeks off. I mean, it, they'll be as rested as possible. Um, the one thing to keep an eye on, the last time Baltimore had the number one seed, they lost in the divisional round to the Tennessee Titans. They, uh, it's, it's the annual debate about, you know, rest, being rusty, being um, staying sharp versus, you know, being healthy. And Baltimore is going to, you know, we're going to see because they rested a lot of players in this game. Yeah. I mean, they still played quite a lot of players as well. You have Um, to. I mean, you can't rest everybody. It's difficult to rest everybody, as we always say. Um, You know, Gus Edwards got a lot of work. Uh, Isaiah Likely got some work. Isaiah Likely, by the way, his touchdown catch was ridiculous. Yeah. Like, rides, you know, makes a nice catch to begin with. Um, Rides a hit, like spins towards the goal line and then extends over for the touchdown just like three or four things in the space of like a split second to make a, a nice play into a touchdown. Absolutely crazy. I mean, he he stepped up in a huge way post Mark Andrews injury, which has been big for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, great regular season for the Ravens. They're the, the, the number one seed. We'll get to the Saturday night game in a second. But as you know, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric, Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. So then Saturday night, AFC South. Houston Texans 23, Indianapolis Colts 19. This was uh, both teams needed a win to get in. Mm. Houston, uh, I believe just the Colts needed help if they won. But Houston was in with a win regardless. But Houston goes to 10-7. and We knew they'd at least have a wild card. But with the Jacksonville Jaguars losing yesterday afternoon, it's the Houston Texans winning the AFC South. And they're hosting the Cleveland Browns in round one as the number one four seed in the AFC which means PFF Bobby makes the playoffs PFF Bobby makes the playoffs and uh, as you can tell there was uh they were they were talking about him a lot they were talking him up Troy yeah. and Troy and Joe I've been waiting job talking our friend up in, the, in that game I've been waiting all season for a broadcast to work out that Bobby was on that 2013 Washington staff the one with the photo of you know McVeigh Shanahan yeah. the LaFleur etc like the McDaniel the famous photo that they keep showing up of like, hey, look, all these guys are on this one Washington coaching staff. I've been waiting all year for them to figure out that Bobby was also on that coaching staff and update the graphic. Fox, week 18, finally brought it out. It's like, there, look, new graphic. Bobby was there too. We need friend of the show, Jordan Rodrigue, too. I mean, she spent the whole offseason talking about the you know, the play callers. Mm. And it's, Bobby's one of them now. Add a new one. He's a play caller. We need a sequel. Play call number one. Yeah. Play action bomb, Nico Collins touchdown. Colts have this long, you know, methodical opening drive. Uh, got them in the field goal range or stalled in the in the red zone. Had to kick a field goal. Texans play one, drop back, bomb, boom, Nico Collins touchdown. Yeah, answer. 
Yeah, Colts went 11 plays, 56 yards for that field goal. And like you said, first play, 75-yard touchdown for Houston. Uh, Nico Collins, what a monster. Yeah. Monster game. Nine catches for 195 yards in that touchdown. 195 of C.J. Stroud's 264 receiving yards, uh, passing yards. Um, incredible season for Nico Collins, the connection between him and Stroud. And, man, Stroud did it again in in crunch time key plays uh, you know under pressure outside of structure Stroud finishes 20 of 26 for 264 that's over 10 yards per attempt and two touchdowns but when he needed to make big plays down the stretch he was doing it and we'll get to the you know the Colts failures at the end but another game to be incredibly impressed by Stroud and you know I was at the time I'm thinking he's gonna go into a Kansas City or a Buffalo for a playoff game and he still might, but now they're now they're hosting Cleveland, you know, the best defense in the league. Um, but I was, at the time, going through this, intrigued by what's he going to do if he went to go face Mahomes in Kansas City or Josh Allen in Buffalo. It's still going to be a great game, I think, against Cleveland this week. But Stroud and the Texans proven that they belong, and you know they can. I think they can do some damage in the playoffs. Yeah, um, I mean, this was, so it was a weird game. Like they. They had that big uh, touchdown to open proceedings. And then both defenses, I think, really had some good plays, particularly the defensive lines for both teams, which have been actually good throughout the entire season for both sides. Like they're, the defensive line, the pass rush for both teams has been a, an important part of each of them being in playoff contention in the final week of the season. And then late in the game, uh, I mean, Stroud and the Texans chewed up like most of the fourth quarter with that big drive. And I think did Stroud miss like one pass or something in that, in that entire drive ends up getting the touchdown uh, at the end of it, putting it all on the Colts. Now they've got, you know, the remainder six minutes or whatever in the, the fourth quarter to answer and to try and come back and almost got it done. Got to the red zone, fourth and one went for it. Minshew gets the ball to Goodson, gets it in his hands, and he can't come away with it. Yeah. Put rough, it on his hands. Rough way. I mean, was it was it the exact – I mean, you, you put it back hip. But, yeah. I mean, if he catches that and falls forward, nobody's like, man, Minshew really missed the throw. Right. It was the – I mean, the throw was a little off, but it still should have been caught for a first down. Yeah, it wasn't the easiest catch in the world. Having said that, you would expect him to catch it and pick up the first down from where the ball ended up. So – but just a horrible way for Goodson, for the Colts and Goodson in particular, you know, to to not make the playoffs effectively. Like, it, it okay, was. you're not – it's not – you know, even if you pick that up, you still have to get the touchdown at the end of that drive. It's not like that's the difference. It wasn't in the end zone, right? It's not the difference literally between winning and losing. But it is – you don't make it, you lose, you know. And you do make it, you live to fight another day or another down and try and make it happen. So – just a horrible way for for Goodson in particular to have to, you know, wrap the season with with that. Um, broadcast was highlighting how good the Houston Texans' run defense had been throughout the year, and the Colts ran all over them. Jonathan yeah. Taylor, thirty carries for one eighty eight, eight uh, forced eight missed tackles, and you know, offensive line like the blocking was good for Indy. Like everything was. They were they were cooking offensively. They were picking up five, six, seven a pop. Texans couldn't stop in them. stretches. No, they couldn't. I mean, and they so, averaged over six yards per carry in the game. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like the Colts were were moving the ball like crazy. Again, Minshew did not do a ton. And then on the other side, the Texans were the opposite. You know, um, I saw people complaining about our friend Bobby. You know, the Texans kept running it and running it and running it. And I, 
I'm not going to do this, establish the run and blah, blah, blah. But all of the, all of the Shanahan tree does feel like, hey, every now and again, we're going to take some, some negative plays, you know, some one and two yard gains to set up the, you know, the big play actions. But they were grinding it out with Devin Singletary, um, who's had a really good season. Like that did help unlock their running game in the, in the middle of the year. But the Colts did a great job stopping the run. They were moving the ball uh, on the ground for much of the game. But it, and they had an opportunity to win, but it comes down to Goodson drops the ball, and um, and that was it. Texans going to the playoffs, man. Yep. Um, the best offensive lineman, I think, for the Colts, Bernard uh, Braden Smith. Remember, there was a big thing about him being back, battling through the injury. Uh, he's been a he's a huge upgrade for them when he's out there. He was playing in this game and then had to leave the game injured. That didn't help. Um, I think the the color poor Blake the, Freeland, yeah, poor Blake Freeland, um, and they're I, I think that def, they definitely suffered when he went off the field. Like he makes a difference for them, and him not being able to see out that game was it was an impactful element late in the game. So for the Colts, I think it's an encouraging season, right? I mean, it's a tough yeah. I mean, they were ending at nine and eight. They but. were not supposed to be where they were, particularly when Richardson went down. I mean, even yeah. with. Who knows whether they would have been better or worse if Richardson had been the starting quarterback over the course of the season. But either way, this was a season of just like groundwork, right? Next year is when they're supposed to be good. And instead, they were contending without their starting quarterback all the way through the year. Yeah, you can't. I mean, heading into the week, people were talking about Shane Steichen as coach of the year. And now because he lost and he didn't make the playoffs, well, now it's like, Oh, it's definitely one of the other guys, you know? It's like <laughs> right. one game, like literally Shane this Steichen game. Shane Steichen did a great job this season. People went from, it's Shane Steichen nailed on coach of the year to, oh, it's got to be D'Amico Ryans. Has to be. Nobody else is in the frame, you know? I mean, whatever. The, Shane Steichen did a very good job and was coach of the year worthy, along with, you know, five or six other people that, that are in that conversation as well. It didn't evaporate just because the Colts beat them in the win and in game in week 18. Yeah, I, I'm very intrigued by... Um, what's Shane Steichen did in year one with Gardner Minshew, who's a limited, I mean, he's a backup quarterback. It was the year of the backup quarterback. So they went nine and eight uh, with Minshew starting most of the season, uh, got the offensive line back on track. And I'm, I'm intrigued and, by what they do with Anthony Richardson here going forward. They've got their uh, rookie contract quarterback and they're always in a very healthy cap situation. So they can, uh, they can, they could do some work there in Indy to uh, to build this team in the offseason. And we'll get to it later, but, you know, Shane Steichen did a really good job with the Colts. Jonathan Gannon's done a pretty good job with the Cardinals in terms of they were supposed to be the worst team in the NFL, and yep. they've got wins against some good teams and ran another one close this week. Meanwhile, Philadelphia's in free fall. That's all connected, I would suggest. Like, oh, man, the fact that they lost both coordinators in the offseason may not have gotten – the sort of appropriate level of focus that it deserved and maybe a big reason why they've never been able to pull it together over the course of the year. All right, let's go through all the Sunday games. So congrats to Houston, the Texans, and, um, you know, just to put a bow on that, 10-7 and seven season, they were picking number two overall last year. They get Stroud. Um, I will continue to push back on all the hindsight stuff, like, you know, Carolina should have known it was Stroud. I mean, that was... Not necessarily the consensus. And I, don't, and I mean, again, I don't even know if Houston would have picked Stroud if they had the number one. Right. Pick. I don't think they would have, right? judging so like, from them. So, like, last year at this time, we were talking about how Lovey Smith screwed the Texans. They won their Week 18 game. They're picking number two instead of one. And 
look, it all ended up working out, but this seems to be like, this is like the story of the NFL historically. Yeah. Dallas I mean, look, accidentally, sorry, I'll let you go in a second, but Dallas accidentally drafted Dak Prescott when they wanted Paxton Lynch. The Ravens drafted Lamar Jackson after Hayden Hurst in the, in the first round. Houston may have gone with the more consensus pick, which was Bryce Young had they had number one, and they ended up get, you know letting the Panthers make the decision for them, and they took Stroud at two. So sometimes better to be lucky than good. Yeah, absolutely. He's hugely. I mean, look, nobody. I, I was. I have been hugely wrong on C.J. Stroud. He's been so much better than I expected him to be. Um, only people that don't speak in nuance when they talk about the draft are like taking victory laps now, because like, oh, I, he was clearly the best quarterback in this draft. Anyone that couldn't see that is an idiot, right? And there I, were there were a lot of people that had Stroud as their top. Like, you know, absolutely, there were people. But the the only people that are like not surprised by this are those that don't that only see in absolutes and are like well he was clearly always a superstar whereas um i was talking last night to the late great austin gale late to this show not you know although i wasn't still alive still with us wasn't a ouija board or anything yeah i was i was texting him that's good good um clarification yeah and austin had cj stroud as his number one quarterback and austin is like i didn't think this was in his range of outcomes i mean i thought he'd be good i didn't think he'd be like amazing and that's the thing, right? It's like he has become the Georgia game C.J. Stroud all the time, which I don't think it's reasonable to have expected that to have been what you're going to get. I mean, he's literally hitting, you know, you look, you see that bell curve of like range of possible outcomes. I mean, he's hitting the 99th, 100th percentile of his range of outcomes in his rookie season. He's been, he's been the guy that showed like this is the high end of his play. Because the one area that I sort of push back on Austin about yesterday he's like um you know i didn't think this was even in his range of outcomes i'm like well the georgia game showed it was like it showed that this is his potential this is what he could be but he's not going to be that all the time only he has been like that's what's been remarkable about about his play but i don't think you can use that to go back and say ah he's he was always going to be this guy because he wasn't i mean there was there's plenty of games that weren't the georgia game that show he was not this guy all the time yeah, of all the impressive things Stroud has done this year, he made this one throw where he, you know, when he's been throwing from tight pockets with no room to actually get rid of the ball, and he's got the quick release and he gets rid of it, and he's been you know, he's short-armed a ton of passes this year that have just been on point. Short-armed because there's someone in his face, and he did that on a dig route on that game-winning drive where he puts it right on the receiver. And it is that, to me, his footwork's been impressive. His work outside of structure has been impressive, but maybe him passing from tight, contested pockets has been the most impressive thing in a very impressive overall season for C.J. Stroud. And all of these rookies have had some form of A-B testing with like a, 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 a seasoned old veteran, and he's the only one where it's gone in his direction, right? Like Bryce True. Young yeah. missed the game, Andy Dalton comes in and makes the offense work, and you're like, okay, Clearly, we're not starting Andy Dalton, but there's pretty good evidence that Bryce is part of the problem as well as just the victim. Um, Ryan Tannehill, Levis has been a little bit either way. Like, I would say generally Levis has got the better of that, but at the very minimum, you know, it's close. Uh, And then Richardson versus Minshew, you could argue that Minshew's been better than Richardson was to begin with. Like, Stroud is the only guy where the veteran came in that looked a lot worse. To be fair, I think he's got the worst veteran backing him up and... Maybe, but Case Keenum, Case I mean, Keenum. you know, I don't, Case Keenum has tape that would say, like, he's gone on runs that look like anything Re- Minshew Remember when I said time's flying? 
Yeah, sure. That was six years ago. Just saying. The 2017 season was six years ago. Agreed. But I think a lot of those things are, you know, the veteran is the veteran looks as bad as he's playing right now. You know what I mean? I need to address something before we leave this game. Oh, yeah? Charles G in the chat asked about, uh, did you see the viral, it was was Shane Steichen mouthing something from the sideline. And I'm. Uh, this is. It's, and there's not a chance in hell he said the thing that the that it's troll driving, account said. It's he said. driving me crazy. Yeah. It's driving me crazy, and it's your fault, everyone. It's your fault, for for taking what somebody fed you, and eating it. Okay. So what happened? It, it looked like Shane. Somebody. It didn't quoted, even look like it. Well, somebody quoted Shane yes. Steichen and said, and he put the 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 quote. He put the t- the the text above the video that said, "quote We had it." You blew it. You missed it. Something yeah. to that effect, right? And there's two things very wrong with this. First off, not reading lips properly. And then secondly, posting a video that wasn't on the last play. It was from a different play oh, really? it wasn't in the game. That play. It was most likely from a different play in the game. And I'll just, this is how careful I think. I, there's Some people are careful. When the Lions um, offensive lineman checking in thing yeah. happened, I saw people being like, are we, sure we're, are we sure we're watching video from the right play? Is ESPN actually showing video from the two-point conversion play, or are they showing something from earlier in the game? And you had to just double-check and confirm. And I went back and double-checked and confirmed. But some people just put quotes out there, and it drives me absolutely crazy when they first off put words into players' mouths or coaches' mouths when they're on the sideline and they're not reading lips. And it's just as bad when you read lips improperly, put a quote to it, and 98% of people just read the quote and don't actually put their own thought into it. Or and it went assume. viral and people were retweeting it and they thought Shane Steichen was calling out Gardner Minshew and none of it was true. Yeah, or just assume that the guy who read the lips and put the quote in is in the same ballpark. Now, there's a bunch of these accounts now that are these like engagement farm accounts. And I think the worst of them is that ML football one, which is where I saw that quote from. That guy tweets things and the captions are obnoxiously trolling and that was his caption and i'm like so i saw the thing sometimes you see these clips right and you're like that's so unlikely to have happened that i have to see it for myself before i'm willing to believe i'm not like because a lot of times you do just sort of assume that the guy who connected the words to the thing is correct right and i'm willing to take it on face value that he wouldn't just make it up because he's posted the video like it's obvious you know this one was so unlikely to have been the case that i'm like no i have to see if that was true or not and work it out for myself and i'm watching the video and i'm like the words i forget what he yeah he said like this is on you or whatever i'm like we had it this is on you yeah i'm like like that's not even close to what he's saying i don't know what he like the last part the we had it part looks 100 percent correct the that's on you thing is not even in the same vicinity as whatever he's saying. I, I, I couldn't work was, out what he was saying, but it wasn't that. There was a play, right, where they lined up, and this ended up blowing the game for Indy. They lined up on fourth and one to draw them off sides, and then they took a timeout. Yeah. I think it may – and I didn't go – so now I'm going to do this thing. I, it may have been after that play. But I don't – I Where he's trying to say, we had, say, the sneak, or we had right. a play call – and then Minshew let it run out or whatever it was. But I don't think I'm 99% sure he didn't say that's on you. Like his, not, like that did not match whatever words were well, coming out of his mouth. That's the other thing too. Like when, when, when you see a player and a coach or two players arguing on the sideline, the people, most people 
Like when you're projecting words into their mouth, you can only use the words that you know, right? You can only assume this guy's saying, I'm open, throw the ball to me or whatever it might be. They might be talking about the play call. They might be talking about their, you know, the, the language of the play that they're arguing about. Or I saw this and you saw that. Like stop projecting what you think people are saying. Just stop it. Everybody stop it. Stop it. Please stop it. Okay. Stop. Okay. So I had to address that. Okay. So it's, it's annoying. So the Texans win the AFC South. Congrats. How hard could it be? I'll tell you how hard it could be. Jacksonville. Oh. Tennessee Titans, 28. Jacksonville Jaguars, 20. So we're on to the, the Sunday games now. The Jags. What a rough finish to the season. Um, if you watched Football Night in America, our friend Steve Kornacki using PFF projections and probabilities and everything. Last year, right around week... 14 or whatever it was, whatever the time period was. Last year, there was a point where the Jags only had a 3% chance to make the playoffs. And then they made it with the late season run. Oh, this year, they had a 96% chance to win it at that same point, And they did not make the playoffs. A few weeks ago, they were they had the number one seed, like in their own destiny. They were 8-3. They're out of the playoffs. Battling. The, they went to play Baltimore. Right. Right. Battling yeah. for the they, number they one. They literally seed. had it in their own destiny. They if they had won out from that point, they would have been the number one seed and instead they are out of the playoffs entirely. Uh Easton Freeze had a tweet that said, In twenty twenty two, the Titans were seven and three and ultimately got knocked out of the playoffs in Jacksonville in week eighteen. In twenty twenty three, the Jags were eight and three and ultimately got knocked out of the playoffs in Tennessee in week eighteen. So the two uh, division rivals have uh traded favors slash you know oh man eliminations was, i mean just we have to talk about it from a jags perspective first and then we'll we'll give the titans their their credit of course but from a jacksonville perspective the difference between this one and say tennessee last year tennessee lost ryan Tannehill at quarterback you know the roster was starting to kind of fall apart a little bit you could kind of sense it and see it with the jags have they had injuries absolutely and their quarterback trevor lawrence has had five of them in the last seven weeks. I mean, that has mm. coincided with things. But the Jags are supposed to be this up-and-coming franchise, year three, year two for Doug Peterson. Uh, Trevor Lawrence in year three, he had, he had taken a, a big leap last year from a performance standpoint right around midseason and, and was a completely different player down the stretch. And so it was supposed to be different for the Jags. So this one just hurts more, I think, for Jacksonville because – you know, it was supposed to be the next stepping stone. And halfway through the season, it looked like, okay, yeah. Last year, they they snuck into the playoffs late, win the division. That's great. You move, And now, now you continue to get better. They were the favorites to win the division this year in a division that should have been wide open, right? You, Anthony Richardson was out for the season. We didn't know what Houston was going to be. We knew Tennessee was in this in this rebuild. And, you know, Jacksonville, just a just a blown opportunity for them. And, and they had opportunities in this game as well yeah. that they left on the table. Yeah, a, a huge one late. Now, they were kind of only in the game because Tannehill decided to throw an interception right to the middle of the field safety uh, against a heavy blitz. Now, it was a really nice read by Cisco, but, I mean, literally a safety sitting there in the middle of the field. It's the one player that can actually impact the throw you're trying to make. And you basically throw it right to him against the heavy blitz. That's that's a huge turnover in at that point in the game. Tennessee had this game fairly well in control, and that gave Jacksonville a chance to to bring it back. And then, so yeah, early, it was like 
the thing about Jacksonville is that they've been kind of the arc, the, the they're they've been the architects of their own demise all the way through the season in terms of mistakes, and it's been a little bit like Kansas City. In fact, remember early in the year against Kansas City, they should have won that game and didn't because Trevor Lawrence put the ball in receivers' hands in the end zone like four times, and not one of them resulted in a touchdown because guys kept getting only one foot down or couldn't quite you know, keep hold of the ball until they'd gotten, you know, a foot stepped out of bounds and all those kinds of things. And this game was just another example of that where they're just inches off. And even in preseason, you saw preseason or training camp, you saw that Ridley or Lawrence to Ridley connection. And it's like, wow, that could be amazing. And it was just inconsistent. Like they couldn't hit it all the time. They went for it all the time. But they, it was really low percentage. They just weren't hitting that many of those plays. So there's a ton of highlights of it because when they did hit it, it looked spectacular. But the strike rate was terrible. And this game, you know, they had a Lawrence to, to Ridley bomb just like preseason early in the game. And then late in the game, they had it again and six inches too far. Like it just goes off Ridley's fingertips. If that ball is six inches less overthrown, it's probably a touchdown, and that's and we're looking at a two point conversion. Right, it's a one point game at yeah. that point, you know, or a two point game rather. You have the two point conversion to tie it, like a whole different ball game. We have a chance to tie the game. Instead, they miss that. They don't get it on on fourth and two a couple of plays later, and that's that's the game. Okay, that's a, a lot of plays to unpack here, right? Because you talked about the Jags, you know, setting themselves up for failure. It was. It was back and forth early on. Tajay Spears with a beautiful 28-yard uh, touchdown on a screen. The Titans were screening. I mean, like another crazy. another so, game where like the run game was dominant. I mean, Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears were both amazing in this game. Yes. Again, for the second week in a row, right? That their run game has been crushing people. Did you see Derrick Henry after the game? They gave him a mic. They like you're hooked just, him up. You're going all over the place. Come on, let's just. It's Derrick Henry. Let's it's, go. It's following. It's flowing. We'll get there. We'll get there. They gave him yeah. a microphone and hooked him up to the stadium's PA system. I've never seen that before. So we got to talk about that now. Yeah, Derrick Henry basically addressed the Titans crowd. He goes 19 carries for 153 yards. That's over eight yards a pop, including a 69 yarder in there. Um, Henry, when look, Zeke Elliott. When did Henry come in? One year after Zeke. 2017 he's had an an eight-year career is that right like Zeke I think is one I think he's one year earlier than Derrick Henry maybe they were the same class but Zeke is over there not to pick on Zeke he's over there in New England by the way he's like a Zeke's become like a pretty likable player he's in this horrible situation in New England seems like he's having fun he's playing hard but Zeke Elliott's like not that same class same class right he's not that explosive and you just you know if he averages over four yards of carry in any season going forward, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, we got, we got something out of Zeke. Derrick Henry's still going strong. I mean, Derrick Henry might still be the best running back in the NFL. It's just that behind that offensive line, you only get the odd glimpse of it. Like, I wouldn't rule that out as a concept. And, and so Henry, by the way, Baltimore would be a great fit. Um, I, keep, I keep trying to put Derrick Henry in Baltimore just to see what that whole thing would look like. But Derrick Henry is still moving and he's doing it behind a bad offensive line. And he, um, I mean, obviously he addressed the crowd. As you said, he's expecting to leave Tennessee going forward. He's expecting to be out of there. And it's I've gonna, never seen. It is actually going to be interesting because he is one of a handful of running backs who has actually made a big difference throughout the majority of their careers. And he's not really slowing down. He's at a point where running backs should have already slowed down. And he's not slowing down yet. 
So he's actually one of the few run game game changers still available at running back. I'm not saying lock him up for like four years and 15 million a year or anything like that, but on like one year deals on these playoff caliber teams, Henry is going to be interesting this offseason. Oh, he's a fascinating uh, offseason topic because he is, he has been the outlier. Like he has been the guy that disproves all the rules about running backs throughout his entire career. All those cliches of, oh, you give him the ball because in the fourth quarter he gets stronger. Like you look at all those sort of survival chart things and it doesn't exist for most running backs, but it does for Henry and it always has. Henry has been the one guy that throughout his career, the rules do not apply to Derrick Henry. And even this year, like, okay, his production has been way down, but it's still been pretty good behind literally the worst offensive line in the NFL for two years in a row. Um, now he's over 30. I think he's going to be 31 next year, like at the, the start of this year. The, or has he just turned 30? Either way. Um, 30, <laughs> I think he's just turned 30 and people, yeah. But 30 being Talking like way him. past the cutoff yeah. of like, forget it. You don't give this guy a new contract. Um but if we're, if we're literally describing this guy as he's already proven to be the guy that disproves the rule. Like, remember Adrian Peterson. Peterson went way into his 30s and was still really productive. And you were like, well, it's Adrian Peterson. The rules don't really apply. Like, you can't win MVP coming back off a knee injury. That's ridiculous. And he just, he does because he was Adrian Peterson. I mean, Henry is in that kind of category. He's already shown that. So I think it is a discussion of... You know, what kind of contract can we give Derrick Henry? Because I'm pretty sure in a good situation, that dude still absolutely cooks. Um, there was a fascinating play in this game where he broke off a big run. Derrick Henry can, can buy extra yardage on a big run by simply threatening to initiate contact with a DB, right? He doesn't even need to do it. He can just like, you know, lunge in their direction and they're like, uh-oh. They've got to sort of get themselves set, you know, to be run over by a 250-pound guy who's going to try and stiff arm them to hell. It's fascinating. I've never seen that before where a running back doesn't even need to, like, go looking for the contact. He just needs to, like, threaten it. And the DB, it's not like he runs away, but he has to sort of back off and set himself so that he can try and be run over. And if Henry's not actually going to do that, he can get five, seven yards extra running room without, without even making contact it's it's a really interesting like dynamic late in those runs i think you've summed derrick henry up really well he has been an outlier over the last few years so we'll talk a lot about him this offseason um just want to go back to some key plays in the game here so the jags were down two scores and it you know with with the trevor lawrence thing i'm just i'm just interested in when we came into the season thinking okay is he going to take the step to become one of these top five type of quarterbacks is he going to become elite and look I know he's battling injuries and the whole deal but this was one of those games it's 28 to 13 can he go and do something special here so they score a touchdown early fourth quarter didn't go for two by the way so they kept it at the eight point deficit there um and then there's a drive um was it was that when the Tannehill that was the interception so Tannehill comes back throws an interception so now it looks like the Jags okay they're down one score it's you know early in the fourth quarter they drive to the one-yard line. And on fourth and one, Trevor Lawrence, you know how they say call his own – they called his own number. Mm. Literally does because most of the time it's, it's play call. Literally does call his own number. And we've seen this in the past. He's long and gangly like me. Um, Trevor Lawrence, we've seen at they other times, can. will abort the play call and just with his long arms go over the top on the goal line and reach in and score. And he's done it a couple times. I think he did it in the playoff game last year against the Chargers right before the half. And so he, call, he calls his own number. He aborts the play call, 
goes for the QB sneak over the top and gets stuffed at the one. So fourth and goal from the one. Jags get stopped um, on what would have been. That was their first opportunity to try to tie the game in the fourth quarter. Then they come back, make another stop with Tennessee. I want to give credit to Trayvon Walker, help set up a Josh Allen sack of Tannehill with about three minutes left in the game. Then the Jags come back, and that was when they had the opportunity to hit Ridley over the top and missed him. And then the Jags, they had second and two at the two-minute warning, Sam. And then three incomplete passes. They miss Ridley deep, third and two, incomplete on a pass breakup, fourth and two, uh, Lawrence misses Evan Ingram. If you look at the, the... the thing I got coming out of this, and over the last few weeks with Lawrence, I've used um, like uh, difficulty level seems jacked up too high in this offense. If you look at the passing map, so many passes outside the numbers. And when they needed this third and two and fourth and two, they just run little five-yard out outs that seemed like extremely low percentage the way the Titans were playing them. I don't know what this balance is for the Jags. And I know they had the deep ball to Ridley available, and they missed it. But there's so many low percentage, outside the numbers types of throws. Reminds me a little bit of early career Andrew Luck, where you'd watch, like remember RG3 and Luck, their rookie seasons, and it's like RG3's thrown into an ocean of wide open receivers, and then Andrew Luck, it's like, man, I got to hit this 15-yard out precision. It just felt like they're playing different level difficulties. And and this isn't, it might be Lawrence choosing these passes too much. There's definitely this element of, um, he doesn't read it out all the way through. He's forcing passes to the wrong places. There's something missing there right now with Lawrence. But when you look at the passing map, everything's outside the numbers and just I also man, wonder missed this, opportunities there. I wonder if this coaching tree is suffering unusually uh, relative to some others with the current you know defensive fighting back type of schemes. Like are they because that remember this defense or this offense a few years ago was sort of in vogue a lot with the way the Shanahan one was, like the RPO heavy system, Andy Reid coaching tree. All of a sudden you had his uh, sort of coordinators being poached or or coaching staff getting taken everywhere. The Eagles going their run to the Super Bowl the first time around. And you're like, wow, this offense is everywhere. And then it it all kind of fell apart for all of them. And now, okay, Peterson comes back and and rebuilds the Jags, but we talked, you know, a big part of that was just not being Urban Meyer. But now, that offense doesn't look like it's going to get back to where it was when it was working so well. And every other place you see this offense or a variant of this offense going, it feels like it's missing something relative to where it was. I don't know if they're struggling more than some other systems against current version of NFL defenses. Yeah, I, the the whole Lawrence dynamic is interesting because I think I – think, uh... Chris may have mentioned it when they were on Sunday Night Football. There are times when he's actually too quick. He's actually too quick to get to his first read instead of getting to two or three. And I don't know. There's just elements of his game that I would like to see tighten up a little bit. So, yeah, at the end of the day, Lawrence had another good season and did not did not take that big step forward to become, you know, one of the, the top five to six, eight quarterbacks in the league. I'm not saying he's not capable. He's still good. He battled through the injuries down the stretch. But it's got to be a I mean, disappointing finish. Here yeah, for the, the narrative for him in the offseason is going to be too harsh because earlier in the year he was way better than his numbers looked because of all those games where receivers were screwing him, right? Like the Kansas City game, I think his grade was absurdly good, but it didn't look like it because nobody could 
finish a touchdown, right? He had four or five games in a row that looked like that. So there was a four or five game stretch where his numbers were crappy relative to how well he played. Then he was battling through half a dozen injuries and legitimately didn't play well. But I think you can fairly say that's an injury thing. So you put those two things together and suddenly you've got like an 11 or 12 game stretch of bad play statistically, all of which can be explained by that's not really where his baseline is. And yet no one will remember that when we're talking about it in the offseason. It's just, hey, look at the stats. Trevor Lawrence is mid. You know, that's going to be the narrative and it's not really true. We'll, um, We'll help correct him. I just think this offense needs more of the easy in there. And I don't think there was enough of the easy in there. And to me, that's one of the... There, you know what they're also missing, though? I'm, I'm not... <laughs> this. You could be forgiven for seeing that uh, this season, my analysis has been just give every team New Hopkins. But New Hopkins <laughs> had a game all right, where he, had, he made like a couple of spectacular one-handed grabs in this game. Generally had a big performance, even though the yardage wasn't spectacular. But like seven catches, a couple of them were one-handed. The one thing that Jags offense is missing, it's a, it's a pretty good receiving core. Like between Evan Engram, who's developed into a really good receiving tight end, Christian Kirk, who's been injured, Ridley is still a useful player for them, and you saw the kind of impact he can have. It is missing that like one contested catch alpha dog who can just go out there and win speculative jump balls, right? They don't have that. That's and, what I used to think when Lawrence, sorry to interrupt, but that's when Lawrence came out, that was like the first thing I wanted him to have. The way he threw the ball at Clemson. I mean, he had he T. Gave, Higgins. And he gave those guys opportunities. In college, yeah. Maybe he'll have T. Higgins. Right. We'll but like, that's what it's missing, right? You look at this, and it's like they have a really good receiving core. Even if it's not, you know, I, I don't need like a true number one who does that in addition to the deep threat, in addition to everything else. But you do, I think you do need a guy who you can just throw a contested jump ball to. Because you don't have one of those at the moment. I don't know if there's, I don't know how much that bails a quarterback out to just have the, the certainty that, yeah, this is like only a 50 50, but what the hell? And, and if we look at Ridley's history, I'm sorry, we're getting too far into offseason weeds here. He's, they, they got him on the cheap. It was a good buy low on Ridley. I think it's still a good addition. But he, his history was like really good number two with yeah. Julio Jones on the other side. Right. When Julio left, Ridley was not a great number one. And then this year, Week one was great, disappeared for a while. You have a game like this, he still goes 106 yards and was wide. Like, Ridley should have had, if, if Lawrence hit him, Ridley should have had about 160 yards and two touchdowns on two bombs. And right. we'd be like, wow, this was great, <laughs> great addition. But I'm just saying there was like too many disappearing acts, I think, for Ridley throughout the season and them finding ways to get him involved. So um, good job by the Titans, pulling the upset, ruining their uh, division rivals the Jags like they did back in 99. Tannehill another guy that's uh, gone in the offseason. They didn't give him a mic. No they didn't. It's a bit harsh. Brought them to the AFC Championship. I was kind of surprised by how both of those guys like how overtly they were just like yeah I'm out of here. Normally there's some sort of well we'll see how it plays out you know been great like there's some sort of like leaving the door open for a reunion. The Tannehill's just like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm gone, uh, and Henry's, you know, I'm sure thanking the crowd yeah. and stuff. Tajay Spears is going to be the guy next year. All right, we'll get through the rest of the games at some point here. But Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, the easiest, most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers, and uh, the numbers won against Eli this weekend. We just missed. By three yards. By three yards. 
he went less than. We tried to go more than 99 and a half receiving yards. We just missed with CeeDee Lamb this weekend. But man, we're having some fun putting these lineups together every single week. All you have to do is you pick more, you pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than, pick less than on a two to six player stat projection and watch the winnings roll in, unless you're Eli in the booth making the picks. You're getting close, though. We're getting very close. Mm. You can play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can do that when you find the uh, go to community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community every week. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So you go to prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL and use the code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. We'll be playing this weekend as well, so keep an eye for the rest of the week on our Prize Picks lineup. But you're going to do it over at prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use the code PFFNFL. Get yourself a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, man, there's certainly some games we're not going to talk about the game flow a ton. So let's talk more about the important games that mattered in divisions. It's NFC South time. Tampa Bay Bucks 9, Carolina Panthers 0. Bucks 9-8 and eight, clinch the NFC South with this 9 to nothing victory <laughs> over the Panthers, who finished 2-15. and 15. Uh, I just love that it finished 9-0. Because when it hit, when it went to 9-0, and you're like, ball game, that's it unassailable nine to nothing lead and it was not only was it unassailable but that it didn't even get closer than that yeah panthers were um i mean two weeks ago bryce young had the highest grade of his young career against the green bay packers uh that was what christmas eve and they got shut out each of the last two weeks against the jags and then now against the and now against the bucks in this one um so the panthers they got the run game going a little bit, but never really had a chance. And then the Bucks, I mean, Baker Mayfield was battling multiple injuries, has ribs, ankle, just grinding it out. And uh, you kind of felt that. But Classic Baker. Classic Baker. But he still found a way to hobble for a scramble first down. And um, just enough by the Bucks. But you could tell Baker was way off, kept trying to throw picks early on and missing some throws. But the, uh, the Bucks battled through and win the division. Yeah, so they went nine nine nothing up with ten minutes left in the fourth quarter, and you're like, it felt over. Game, it was over. Well, the Panthers, when it was six nothing, they they missed a field goal. Yeah. Where it's like, if they at least hit the field goal and they're within another field goal, this is doable. <laughs> but then they missed the field goal. Bucks come back with another field goal. Now it's nine nothing, and it's like, yeah, this not a chance. This game's no over. No hope. Um, it was the, also a game where basically since the moment DJ Chark called out the narrative that it's all on the wide receivers it's been all on dj chark like he has made more mistakes to let down the panthers than anybody since making a big deal out of the fact that the receivers are taking all the blame it's actually fascinating so like that moment so the two big moments in this game because the the panthers did have a touchdown potentially should have won the one big play in the past game because bryce young finished with 94 receiving yards 42 passing yards passing yards Bryce Young, thank you. 94 passing yards. Reset, ready? That's not good. Bryce Young finished with 94 passing yards. 
42 of which came on a scramble drill to DJ Chark. That looked very Bryce Young. That was like, oh, look, there's Alabama Bryce Young out of the pocket, making a play, rolling to his left, finds his receiver. It's a touchdown. No, it's not. And then Antoine Winfield saves the day right at the goal line, knocks the ball out from DJ Chark. That's Pro Bowl snub, Antoine Winfield. Now, listen, not only is Antoine Winfield one of the best safeties in the NFL this year, 90-plus PFF grade, this is the second game because I I think they still ended up losing to Atlanta but this is the second game he almost pretty much saved on his own it's the second touchdown that he saved because uh, Desmond Ritter earlier in the year was walking in for a touchdown Winfield hustles forces a fumble and a touchback just barely same thing with Chark here that one I think he at least touched the ball though right like he actually forced that one out this one he just hit Chark who then dropped the ball into the end zone whatever Antoine Winfield deserves credit <laughs> for all of this he does so the Panthers that was their that was an that was a scoring opportunity yeah and then they scored what would have been about a 40-yard touchdown but there was an illegal formation yeah and so the two and then like biggest a play plays later. by the Panthers were a fumble out of a touchback and an illegal formation and the illegal formation I think the very next play or maybe two plays later was like a strip sack then the game you know the ball's turned over so you went from touchdown right to oh you don't even have the ball anymore yeah it and was, that's that's the Panther season in a nutshell really is it was not great um so credit the Bucks for making those plays um you know, the offense has been better, had been better these last few weeks, but they, they were had a rough three quarters against the Saints last week. And in this one, obviously, Baker Mayfield and his injuries, you know, what he's trying to deal with, the pass game struggled. He finishes 20 for 32 for just 137 yards. That's 4.3 yards per attempt. Got sacked three times. Um, but they did, you know, Chase Edmonds had a big run. To, like, again, this was one of those plays where any sort of 15 to 20-yard play right. was huge. They did enough. And they did just enough, and um, it was winning in for the Bucs. Um, the Saints get... and Falcons were playing for, you know, hoping that the Bucs would lose, and um, but this was winning in, and the Bucs took care of business. And they get to host the Eagles. I mean... Well, that's the thing now. You couldn't have asked for a better op- opponent. Like, you get, A, you're hosting a playoff game, even though you've just struggled your way across the line, and B, the team you're hosting is in absolute freefall crisis right now. They are absolutely live to win that game. They have a chance to win a game and maybe earn the right to go to San Francisco in round two. Now, now that won't you know, go. Again, I don't know that they'll... That won't go so well. That but. won't go so well, but there's a chance to win a playoff game in, in Tampa Bay this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Doesn't it feel almost like the reverse? Remember a couple of years ago where the Eagles had sort of overachieved, made the playoffs, and then they went up against Tampa Bay, and you're like, oh, you see, the, that's they got, kind of the difference between... Yeah, they have you know, no chance. You're yeah. good enough to make the playoffs versus an actual contender... It's almost like the reverse this time. Like the they the the Bucks might get might get the win again, but if they do, they're gonna roll up against the 49ers and see there's a difference there. Yeah. This is uh it's gonna be an interesting round one game. It'll be the the Monday night game. Um a couple Panthers I just wanted to shout out here. JC Horn, you know, only played six games this year, but played pretty well again. Um Derek Brown. I didn't really. So he did end up with over a hundred tackles, yeah. As a defensive lineman, I saw the because you you tweeted the other night. You're like you're like who deserves to who's under the under the radar deserves to be an all pro. Mm-hmm. And I saw people answering saying Derek Brown because he's going to have a hundred tackle season at defensive line. And I I immediately get skeptical about tackle numbers because I usually don't even look at them, right? Because I don't care about tackle numbers generally. 
and uh, I don't know if people realize this, back in the day you'd watch like a CBS broadcast and they would say, I remember they said like uh, Ted Washington had like 120 tackles one year or something. That's like, he probably had 40. Like those things weren't real. Um, but this was legit. Derek Brown was making, and his PFF grade's good. He's been good against the run. He had four or five pressures in this game, was moving the pocket. Derek Brown's a very good player. But he's making a ton of plays this year. So I just wanted to give him a shout out for another awesome season, Derek Brown. I don't think he'll make all pro, but right. um, really good season. I think there's a couple defensive pieces to build upon here for the for the Panthers with whichever route they go as far as uh, head coach and you know the rest of the, the new regime coming in. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be fascinating just in and of itself to see how, how that goes, um, who they're going to bring in. And you can only imagine the... <laughs> you can imagine the rage that it, that exists within David Tepper right now, where he gets to watch Bryce Young going for you know ninety five yards every week. Meanwhile, C.J. Stroud is in the playoffs, looking like an absolute superstar. And you know whether or not you you whether or not David Tepper thought that Bryce Young was the right guy, you can guarantee that in his head right now he was like, I was C.J. Stroud the whole way. What is this? I got dragged down a ridiculous road by these idiots that I've already fired and look what we could have had you know even though he may have been in the room going I need Bryce Young last year at this time I was thinking about Josh McCown first time NFL coach and during this it's this time of year right heading into the combine and everything and they were whining and dining all of the quarterback prospects and I'm like man good for Josh McCown that's a lot of steak dinners and then you realize it's with David Tepper every single time so you got you know fine fine dining every week with the net with the next quarterback prospect but you're doing it with you know a guy who might throw a bucket of water in your face never know mm-hmm. you know i take the steaks though does steak. bryce young eat off the, the kids menu <laughs> stop it dude <laughs> stop uh, the sad thing is he's basically my size you know stop he's not even small he's just normal uh, Bucks hosting a playoff game. Um, programming note, by the way, too. I might not be around the rest of the week here, so I might have to miss my first preview show. Wow! Since COVID. Since COVID. Since COVID. Since you got been an Ironman. Since you got kicked off your we own show. We need stats. We need stats. Yeah. <laughs> um, they decided to kick me off the show. Yeah, and no, no, week, no, both of us. Whatever about you? For week, they one. kicked me off the show because you caught COVID. They brought in. The big dogs. Yeah. Chris Collinsworth. Uh-huh. Numbers. Psh. Parachuted in from above. Yeah. Numbers tanked. Yeah. I mean, whatever about you, that at least I can understand. You know, you caught COVID. There, there's consequences for being diseased. You know, you caught COVID. Out, out, out right now. I somehow got blamed for this. Well, when you have unhinged management. So. <laughs> uh, the and other they thing. They hire other unhinged management. Sometimes right. they make bad decisions. The other thing we need to do is to. At once, once again. Well, let me trash people. No, no, no. We're moving on now. We've got it's a tight show. We've, got, we've only got four hours to get this done. I don't done. care. We're not going to talk about the Patriots, Jets, Snow. We Go need ahead. to once again Bernie Sanders appeal to people, remind to, people to vote for us to win the best American football sp- podcast, so that we don't get fired for trashing our own bosses. So. If you go to my pin tweet at PFF underscore Sam or the description of this podcast, whether it's on YouTube or the audio version, you will see the link to vote for us to win best American football podcast uh, for 2023, even though it's a 2024 award because we're in 2024 right now. Anyway, we're a finalist. We're thrilled to be finalists. Having said that, we would also like to win and it's an open vote. So we would like your vote. 
go vote for us. The experience on a phone is a little bit sketchy. So if you could do it on a desktop, that will make the thing fly right past. And we appreciate all of your support. Corporate doesn't want us to win. Do it despite that. No, they do. Chris is going to tweet about it today. No, we don't get the people against it. (laughs) But this is how we we save our jobs. We we win an award, and then they can't fire us. Yeah. Like, they don't think think we're important and valuable. Right. So, yeah, okay, that's better. We've got to win one instead of stealing one. Reset for social. Um, Corporate and management, they don't think this is a valuable, important podcast. But if we win an award, maybe we'll stick around. Maybe we'll still be here. Mm. You know, maybe they'll keep the podcast alive. Do it to save the podcast. Do Please. it to save. Save us. Save, save us the podcast. With your vote. Save the pod. All right. The other NFC South game, New Orleans Saints 48, Atlanta Falcons 17. We'll spend a little bit of time on this one uh, because the Saints, look, the winner was had a chance to win the NFC South. They were rooting for the Bucks to lose. With the Saints win, they were still kind of rooting for some upsets, but the Packers, you know, won. And so the, the Saints, both teams are eliminated here. Saints finished 9-8. and eight. Falcons finish 7-10, and 10, again, for the third straight year. They'll pick eighth overall for the third straight year, but this time without Arthur Smith as their head coach. Fired last night in the uh, the first firing of the offseason here. Didn't even make it to Black Monday. No, it was Black Sunday night. Yeah, Black Sunday night. <laughs> yes, for the Falcons. Uh, Derek Carr finishes 22 of 28 for 264, four touchdowns, passer rating of 145.5. Uh, because we're always we keep it real here on the PFF NFL podcast. Those stats are inflated because his dudes made plays, man. The Saints just caught everything. Chris Olave, incredible contested catch for a touchdown. Rashid Shahid, that was incredible a contested catch. catch for a touchdown. A.T. Perry. A.T. Perry with an incredible contested catch for 29 yards. And it, and it had a touchdown in there, two touchdowns in there as well. But um, the Saints receivers did a great job. And it's like, man, it took the whole season to, for them – for. All of my analysis to come true for the Saints. All these guys to throw to, and they should uh, be able to put up points and have good numbers, and that's where Derek Carr ends up with a really good statistical season at the end of the day here. And, okay, yeah, he got, I don't want to say bailed out necessarily because I don't think any of those throws were bad. I'm just, they were just... I'm just trying to, right, I'm just trying to say that the, the stat line doesn't yeah. match the... But I think but it, but I think for the second half of the season, Derek Carr has actually played really quite well agreed agreed not taking anything it's just the problem is they had dug themselves too deep a hole by the time that started and overall their season has kind of ended up where it was supposed to it's just that the bucks were also better than people expected since they started booing him yeah and it it came just short you know but this has kind of been where you would expect the saints to get to by the end of the year and it it has sort of ended up more or less where it was supposed to yeah at perry made a crazy catch over aj terrell in the end zone for a touchdown got him again later with the same thing just a ridiculous like i'm stronger than you unlucky the alave catch was insane like the ball literally bounced off clark phillips head in the end zone yeah and i thought it was just sort of lucky that it bounced off his head hovered there and then alave snagged it alave actually did an amazing job to sort of keep juggling it like to sort of bounce it you know a couple of times to himself and then grab it before he ended up going out of bounds just a a fantastic catch by him it was another classic Desmond Ritter game where like outside of two glaringly awful mistakes it was pretty good but the two glaringly awful mistakes undid all of your good work um Bijan was cooking like they finally hey this amazing receiver running back thing why don't we use him a lot that worked although early in the game it's like wide open Scotty Miller uh, John U. Smith, big play. You're like, 
you can just imagine Arthur Smith on the sideline, you know, smug Arthur Smith, where like, ah, you didn't see those ones coming. You didn't cover Scotty. Ah, you over there were two guys on Drake London. Instead, it's Scotty Miller making the play. Gotcha. Uh, and then, what, like, you do fast forward to the end. I want to talk about the end. So it's 41 to 17. And uh, Logan White- Whiteside comes in for the Falcons, throws a pick. Saints get the ball at, about the one, at the one yard line with three seconds left. Line up in victory form. Because they should have scored. Like Tyron Matthews running it back and then starts to like celebrate and doesn't make it. Yeah. So three seconds left. Game's over. Saints throw the victory formation out there. They put backup quarterback, the great Jameis Winston, in there to take a knee. Jameis inserts himself into a Rudy movie. <laughs> this is the premise for the movie Rudy. They wanted to get Rudy a sack and threw an incompletion to prolong the game. Well, and you know, the similarities here were they line up in victory formation like, hey, can we get Jamal Williams a touchdown? Jamal's a good guy. Deserves a touchdown. So from victory formation, they run it. One yard touchdown for Jamal Williams to finish the game. And uh, Arthur Smith is livid mm. after the game. And uh, Dennis Allen with the Saints, you know, he's uh, Arthur Smith screaming at Dennis Allen after the game. And Dennis Allen at the end of the game in this press conference says, no, the players called that. So initially when I saw this, because, you know, there's a bunch of games happening at the same time. You know, it's difficult to be laser focused on any of them. Initially, when I saw it, I didn't realize that they had run out of victory formation. I thought they had just run it in from the one-yard line. Which I think is perfect. Normal formation. That's what I'm saying. I mean, look, I think you can argue that it was still sort of unnecessary. Just take the knee and get out of there. But I don't really have a problem if a team just runs a conventional play and scores. Like, no, minimum. It's not that I don't have a problem with that. I think I probably would still sort of say, eh, that was kind of uncalled for. It's kind of a dick move. You know what I mean? But I do think that you can't really complain about that if you're Arthur Smith, right? If they had just lined up in I formation and run down your throat and scored again, if you're Arthur Smith, you can't really go over and like start screaming at the guy, right? Because that's kind of on you. Stop them. You haven't stopped them all game. It's your fault. At the minimum, you look like a jackass for whinging about that. But if they line up to take a knee and then run the ball, now you're like, okay, that's taking the piss. So... From that point, I understand. I think Arthur Smith is okay at that stage or perfectly justified to be pissed off at that and start screaming at Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen was very sort of, yeah, my bad, or I understand when he was sort of talking to Arthur Smith and then comes out and says, I called victory formation. Like, I told him to take a knee. And then, of course, it emerges that Jameis was the reason for all of this. And Jameis comes out and says it was a team collective decision. But the key piece of information in that whole diatribe was uh, I asked them, you know? It's not like there was a spontaneous outpouring of the offense to say, let's get my guy here a touchdown. Jameis said, hey, should we get Jamal a touchdown? And everyone was like, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's just perfect. Nothing is more Jameis than they've called me, end the game, let's get out of here. And Jameis is like, hey, how about getting Jamal a touchdown? And everyone's like, yeah, cool. Did you listen to Jameis's three-minute yes. explanation? Uh-huh. It's just unbelievable. That reporter, I thought, was a little bit. I don't know. I think there were two people talking there, reporter-wise. But whoever the guy was for like the last minute of was that very upset. exchange, yeah, and for a very dumb reason, I think. Like his problem was, 
oh, I don't think you should have done that. And Jameis is like, why not? And he's like, oh, you play these guys two times a year. Got to make the Falcons And he, Jameis is like, we've already played them twice. And he's like, yeah, but next year. Like, what? That, that's not a reason to not do it. Oh, next year they're going to be pissed. Like, it's a whole different team on both sides next year. Like, stop. What are you talking about? That, I thought that was dumb. That's what Jameis should have said. Arthur, what do you mean? Arthur's getting canned. It's a whole different story. <laughs> right. He's um, out of here. I know this stuff depresses you, but did you know Arthur Smith was born in between you and I? Same year. What? Same age. Stop. No, no, hang on. That, the important part is that means I'm younger than him, right? By two months. That's all I need to hear. You, on the other hand, that's got to be rough. Yeah. Arthur Smith looks like a man that's, that's been through I some things. I just looked that up last night. He's maybe. really younger than you are. He was born of May, May of 82. Wow. Unless I misread or, I mean, it was late. He is an incredible treasure trove of photographs, though, where if you look, so if you search Twitter, right now for like Arthur Smith, right? You'll see all the Arthur Smith has been fired posts, right? Each one of them has a different photograph and each photograph is perfect for I've just been canned. It's like, oh, you know, it's like every fo every photograph of Arthur Smith is like him looking bummed that he's just been fired. Yeah, Man, I don't know why, but it has, has a picture for every Desmond Ritter <laughs> red zone turnover, which all fits perfect for you know. I've just never seen somebody with such a broad range of photographs that perfectly fit the caption fired after a 7-10 and 10 season. All right. So there's not much. I don't know. There's only a couple other actual football games that we need to discuss. But fallout from this, it is, it's going to be an interesting job. I already see people trying to put Ben Johnson here from the offensive coordinator from the Lions. Obviously, the quarterback situation needs to be addressed yep. in Atlanta. But again, they're picking eighth. I, I, I'm starting to believe that four quarterbacks maybe go in the top 15. Um, I don't know where the NFL is going to land on Jaden Daniels from LSU, Michael Penix, who's playing tonight in the national championship. Um, Bo Nix, our uh, good friend Mike Renner, seems to think the NFL is going to love him and put him in the top 10 to 15. So the Falcons will be one of 10 or 11 teams that probably need a quarterback all drafting in the top 15. And of course, we expect one and two to be, to be QBs again. So lots of... but. A lot to be, you know, had there, but like the playmakers that they have are still legit. Like somebody, like somebody's gonna be looking at that Chargers job and saying, "Yeah, give me Justin Herbert." Somebody's gonna be looking at this Falcons job and saying, "Yeah, I want Drake London and Kyle Pitts. I'll figure out Kyle Pitts. I'll work with Bijan. You know, I'll make that work." So that's gonna be an interesting job this offseason for sure. Yeah, and we're gonna get you know a direct comparison effectively between hey arthur smith and this i've got a whole collection of superstars i refuse to use and somebody else coming in like are we immediately going to see ben johnson or whoever run the offense through Bijan, kyle pitts and drake london and what does that look like okay probably with an upgraded quarterback which is probably going to tilt the scales quite significantly in their favor but you know finally we'll get like an idea of what that actually does look like all right, let's run through some of these other 1 o'clock games that like literally only need two minutes. Uh, Detroit Lions 30, Minnesota Vikings 20. Lions already were locked into the number three seed, still played it out. Uh, this game, both quarterbacks averaged like nine and a half yards per attempt across both of them. It was just, I loved watching this. Like these, these quarterbacks were averaging about 10 yards per attempt at the same time the Patriots and Jets had 13 total completions in their game, you know, mm. same, same football. Um, Jared Goff finishes 23 of 32 for 320 and two touchdowns, some big plays in the pass game. And then Nick Mullins 
throws for 396, but of course two picks in there as well with uh, Josh uh, Justin Jefferson going 12 catches for 192 and a score. A lot of big explosive plays in this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nick Mullins, just a fascinating quarterback because he can move the ball, but it will come with crazy interceptions slash turnover he plays. And it's like a better version of Desmond Ritter. But the fascinating maybe. thing is they can come anywhere. It's not like limited to... You know, he's it's not it's not just the red zone. He's not one of these quarterbacks that's like calibrated to be psychotically aggressive. So it's not that the the picks come because he's trying to be too aggressive all the time. Like he's he will check down randomly when you would say, hey, push it, like be more aggressive than that. Take the shot at the 10 yard play. Instead, he'll check it down to a running back. It's like he's not he's not just calibrated to be crazy aggressive. He's just just bad in terms of terrible decisions sometimes it's weird um but it does result in moving the ball a lot and some wildly high variance offense from from him so yeah the, but the big thing I guess the, the starting point for this game has got to be the Lions did play their starters they were trying to ride that momentum that we talked about like all that came true they called a pass play to to Dan Skipper just to really you know troll the NFL um but they also got punished for it. They got so they got Sam Laporta a touchdown. Uh, he broke all kinds of records in this game, rookie records for tight ends. Jameer Gibbs also got a touchdown. So they became the first pair of rookies ever to have to each have double digit touchdowns in the season. So Gibbs and wow. Laporta. Seventeen game schedule era. Real real impressive, Sam. <laughs> real impressive. I forgot the way no records now count in week yeah, 17. Yeah, they should have done it by week seventeen, you know. Yeah. Got it. Uh, so those don't count. Um, Good job. Lyle. But anyway, that was impressive. point being, they got him his touchdown. They got him all kinds of records, put him up there with Gronk and Ditka for like, you know, all-time seasons. And then Sam Laporta goes down with a knee injury on like a routine slant route. Guy jumps on his back and his knee just got like caught in the turf. The diagnosis appears to be basically the same diagnosis as Travis Kelsey's preseason injury. So it's like a sprain and a bone, bone bruise or whatever. Yeah. Um, so Kelsey played the next week, but yeah, he was, you could tell he was missing a little something. And it usually the guy doesn't play the next week for that. So right. either he plays in the first playoff game, but probably isn't the same guy or they give him the rest in that game. Hope they win it. And he plays the next week. Either way, it looked like it was a season ender immediately. It's like, oh, that was that's that's in the injury pop. Like Khalif Raymond was also limping off. I don't know what ended up happening with him, but he had a 41-yard reception. We know and a big punt return. Yeah, big punt return. You know how much we love Khalif Raymond here. So I mean, those are two legitimate playmakers, of course, for the Lions. Um, one other stat I just wanted to to bring out here: Jared, two weeks ago they played right, and we've been talking a lot about Brian Flores and the blitz and the whole thing. And mm -hmm. two weeks ago, Goff and the Lions torched the Lions blitz. I mean, the Vikings blitz. And um, so what was going to happen in this game? Well, the the Vikings went, they blitzed even more. And Goff finishes 20, 21 of 30 against the Blitz. For 30. Three, 30 against the Blitz. 21 of 30. I mean, right. he only dropped back like 35, 40 times. This is not even. Brian Flores has already I gotta set. i got to find this percentage. That's what, what I'm saying. This? Brian Flores, I think, has already set the all-time record for Blitz rate in a game. I think this just exceeded it. I 21 of 30 for 310 and two touchdowns. So for the season, Jared Goff against the Vikings Blitz, and the season being two out of the last three weeks here, Goff goes 43 of 55 for 493 
three touchdowns, no picks against the Vikings blitz. Their blitz rate in this game was 91%. There you go. Beautiful. Well done. 91% blitz. And again, so it felt like I... It didn't work. No, it didn't. Um, but for for the last few weeks, it has felt like the Vikings defense badly needs like a... They need a bell, you know, like between rounds and, and a fight. You know, you just need to regroup and come back. Like they are desperately waiting for the bell. Only for them, there isn't one. It's just the end of the season. Because... The defense has just been on the ropes for the last few weeks. It's like teams have finally figured out how to beat it, and the, the Lions did it most spectacularly. I mean, there was a play in this game where uh, they're running like a double move, and it's Khalif Raymond one-on-one with Josh Metellus. And you're like, dude, that's that's broken scheme. That's bad. That shouldn't happen. That's not good. We and the Lions are of, finding it. We were giving Flores a ton of credit. Um, mostly because and I think he's they, done a good job. Like, talent-wise, they shouldn't have been as yeah. competitive as they were for most of the season. I mean, I think the smoke and mirrors work that he's been doing this season has done an amazing job overall. But I think the last sort of, what, four, five weeks of the season, I think he just, like, ran out of smoke and mirrors. You know, eventually you can only – misdirection only works for so long until teams get a handle on what you're doing, how you're misdirecting, where to keep your eyes instead of the thing. Like, don't look at the hand waving over here, focus on whatever. He just ran out of tricks, you know, and eventually teams figured it out. And from that moment on, the defense is just playing catch-up and the the talent disparity is showing up, right? Like, they're just not actually that talented on the defensive side. And once the scheme stops having an advantage, now you're just one-on-one Josh Metellus against Khalif Raymond, and that's not going to go your way that often. All right, so what's happening going forward here? Viking season over, of course, but the Lions, man, they're hosting the Rams. Matthew Stafford's return to Detroit. I love this. This is – I was rooting for these matchups just for the entertainment value. So Stafford going back to Detroit on Sunday night against the Lions. That also set up Packers-Cowboys as a matchup. I mean, this is – Great narratives. This is beautiful. This is as good as it gets. One other thing to highlight here, Jared Goff finishes um, one of his best regular seasons, his best regular season since 2018 um, when he did help lead the Rams to the Super Bowl that year. Goff uh, was was our highest-graded quarterback through Week 10. He hit this four-game stretch where he was not good yeah. whatsoever. But the last four weeks, he's been good again. He's, he's been very streaky this year. If he continues this through the playoffs, of course, the Lions are dangerous. Um, hoping Sam Laporta and Khalif Raymond get healthy and can play because this Lions team, when they are all healthy and the offensive weapons with Gibbs out of the backfield with Amonra St. Brown, I mean, they are hashtag fun to watch, difficult to cover. I uh, can't wait to see Dan Campbell in a playoff game. The decisions he's going to make, it's going to be great. Uh, more than half, or sorry, just under half of his turnover-worthy plays came in that four-week stretch where he just ran off the rails for some reason. And yeah. then outside of that, I mean, he's genuinely had – he would be an MVP candidate, if not front runner, if you swapped those four games with just four average games. Like he just, he had a four game skid where he looked bad. And outside of those four games, he hasn't just been good. He's been rivaling any MVP candidate this season. All right. So Lions finished the year 12 and five. They'll be hosting the Rams, as I said, um, Sunday night in, uh, in the playoffs. All right, so the two 1 o'clock games that really didn't matter, New England and uh, the Jets. Jets finish uh, – Jets win 17-3. to uh, Jets finish 7-10. and 10. Patriots fall to 4-13. and 13. 
this was fun to watch just because of the snow. Uh, but yeah, 20 total completions across both quarterbacks. It was ugly football. There's not much football to discuss here other than both teams are picking in the top 10. Patriots lock in the number three overall pick. And the question now is, will Bel- Bill Belichick actually be there to make that pick? Um, I like snow games most of the time. This, however, felt like a snow game that, that was... This is why Renner hates snow games, was this game. Because it was just it was just ugly. It would have been fun if something like, was on the line. Zeke Elliott said something like, oh, he's wanted to play in a snow game his whole life, and now that he has, it kind of sucks. Well, like, yeah. That's, yeah, this game would make you think that, you know? It didn't, it didn't have that. Remember the, was it the Eagles-Lions snow game where it was like, it's like a foot of snow on the field, and it was chaos, and Calvin Johnson's getting up off the turf with like a whole, just a face mask full of snow. That was fun. This wasn't fun. It was just kind of sad, and it was this game. I mean, the Jets, Patriots, with nothing on the line, with bad seasons, with no quarterbacks. And it's like, this is just ugly across the board. The snow's not helping anything. It's just making it worse. Impressive finish for Brees Hall to the season. Yeah. Coming off the knee injury, 37 carries for 178, including a 50-yarder. Had a touchdown in there. Um, so that was, you know, that was a highlight for the Jets this year. It was the only highlight for the Jets this year, Brees Hall. All right. The only other thing to talk about here is Belichick and the Patriots. You know, they're going to talk it out. There's when, when insiders don't have information, and they usually don't have great information about Bill Belichick, they're basically just us, right? Your top insider, what's going to happen in New England? Well, they could fire Bill Belichick, or they could trade him, or they could take away GM duties. We'll find out this week. Yeah. So that's my inside information. Okay, yeah. The other thing to say, this snapped a 15-game losing skid for the Jets against the Patriots. Oh, yeah, it's first time since uh, Fitzmagic in 2015. Right. Um, 15 games within the division, that's a hell of an achievement to lose or win straight. Anyway, two, what is your prediction? I need a prediction for what the Patriots do with Bill Belichick, so I need both ends of that, right? Do they get rid of him? If yes, where does he go? And then if yes, who comes in? I think Belichick's out. I think can't figure out where he's going to go because the rumors that Harbaugh is going to the Chargers I don't know where Belichick would even want to go Mm -hmm. like do you want to go work for the Raiders God no do you want to go to the Chargers do you want to go to the Falcons do you want to go to the Panthers I don't think he wants to do any of those things (laughs) the Falcons might actually be the like the Chargers are the most intriguing because of Herbert but do you really want to go I'd say Chargers-Falcons right now is probably the most attractive. Like, if you're Belichick, do you now have an acute appreciation for how much you need a quarterback? Like, does the last few years minus Brady go, I, the only thing I care about right now is finding yeah. a good quarterback? Well, there's, there's also a part of me that really wishes he would stay just out of curiosity with what they would do at number three. The only other time I think they had a top ten pick, they drafted a linebacker, Gerard Mayo. He's yeah. a good linebacker. But I, are they going to draft, like, Jeremiah Trotter at three? <laughs> From Clemson, I'm just interested in that, and I'm still interested in what Belichick does from a QB evaluation standpoint. Yeah. I don't think they missed completely on Mac Jones. I think they just kind of ruined him. Like he could have been a decent quarterback, but it was. But also, a he rough was like situation he was QB five. He was the fifth quarterback, right? They didn't choose Mac Jones. He yeah. was the fifth quarterback, and that's basically of that as, class. That's basically as high a chance as they've had on yeah. a quarterback since ever. I, I would be fascinated because I'm, I'm still interested. Like Bill, Bill Belichick is still a great football mind. You know, he's forgotten more about football than you or I know, or at least me. And um, even though it's easy to say, oh, he's nothing without Brady and blah, 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 whatever. I mean, he's still a great 
okay. head coach, right? Here's the other destination and is now officially open as of a minute ago. Um, the commanders are moving on from Ron Rivera. So Washington now opens up, and Washington sits at number two, not number three. They have their shot of one of the two top quarterbacks in this draft. So, you know, if they end up drafting Drake May, you're in a better position, I'm, is all I'm saying, to get the QB I, than you are one, if you're the Patriots. I could see this one happening. Like, here's the deal, though, right? Uh, 24 years ago, this week or whatever, within the last two weeks, Belichick, you know, resigned from the Jets. After well, he, a could, day. he could sign with the Chargers, or they could trade him to the Chargers, and then a week, a day then later, he, he can just go, no, nah, I'm quitting and going to Washington. That, that's the move. There you go. I, I think Bill Belichick right realizes, realizes the value of having a good owner and an owner that's going to give you control. And, and I think he had a good relationship with Bob Kraft. And you've got to think he'd get that out of Josh Harris, right? But I don't know. Like, I think Belichick probably looks around the league and says there's eight owners that I would work for, Yeah. right? And most of those jobs don't come, op come open because most of those teams are pretty good. Right. But and don't you so think of all the owners, the ones that would give him – like if, he, if one of his stipulations – and I have no idea if it is, right? Like maybe a clean break is actually a – maybe Bill, of all people, is sitting here going, dude, I need to get out of this like personnel world. I'm sick of being Bill the GM as well as just let me go coach. I don't like all this GM stuff. This is dragging my ass down, but I can't give it back in New England. Like, that would be a terrible climb down. Maybe Bill is like, I, I would done. desperately love to get out of the personnel business, give that to somebody else, and just let me coach. I have no idea. But anyway, if he does want to keep total control over everything, including personnel decisions, you've got to think one of the easiest places to do that will be a – a new owner, you know, a green owner wet behind the ears who he can just go, hey, I know what yeah. I'm doing. Give me everything. So Josh Harris, David Tepper, those are the guys that are going to give you that because they don't necessarily know any better. Yeah, I don't see him working for Tepper. I could see that. I could no, see I don't either. For I could see reasons. the commanders. I also think Belichick would want to go, like Washington has a better history. You know, like I, I think there's, sure. he's got this appeal to history. I don't think he wants to go to an Atlanta or to a Los Angeles Chargers team when it's like, oh, I could be in Washington, I mean, right? That's some history, just different. Yeah. Um, what about there's a lot there was a lot of talk before the games yesterday of all again, you know, your thing of insiders just saying things without knowing anything. Yeah. <laughs> they were great. all trying awesome. to give comments about how nobody knows what's happening with Mike Vrabel, you know? And they were differently they were differently weighted comments, but they were all the same, which is nobody knows. Uh, is Mike Vrabel gonna go to New England? That I could see. Of all, I, I think people expect Gerard Mayo to just take over. I, I assume there's probably going to be something in uh, Robert Kraft that says, I don't, why do I want to just run it back with, you know, Belichick's disciple? Mike Vrabel's not a part of the Bill Belichick coaching tree. He merely played right. for him. So this is actually, this is saying, this is like bringing Jeff Saturday in. Uh-huh. But without it's his version of Jeff, but Saturday. not a high, but not a high school coach and NFL right. coach who's had success. And but Mike it's Vrabel. the same. It's like the same logic, right? It's like it's who is who is most intimately connected with championship era team, you know? Instead of the instead of or Jim Irsay, who's just like, who do I know that was on that 04, 06, you know, run of Colts teams? Jeff Saturday, he's not busy. Let's get him a call. Like, that was his logic. Whereas at least Kraft can go, okay, who is, like, deeply steeped in that, you know, dynasty-era Patriots? Oh, 
Vrabel, and he's a pretty good coach. Perfect. Then, then you'd have to figure out the personnel aspect of it because Vrabel, I think, has done great with not great personnel, and then they fired John Robinson, and he's had one year. Right. Uh, ran Carthon, and now – so I don't know. You have to have that combo GM deal unless Vrabel wants to negotiate personnel control. Mm-hmm. So, um, so my quick prediction, I'll, I'll say Belichick to Washington, sure. And uh, but I think he's I think he's going to be gone in New England, and they, yeah. they would go the Gerard Mayo or Mike Vrabel route. Yeah, I like that. I I like that as an option now. The Belichick goes to Washington, I think takes full control there, and then Mike Vrabel becomes the Patriots, the new Belichick. They can overhaul that team quickly too. Washington, Washington new QB. It's not like the team's trash, no personnel wise, but new QB, decent enough personnel, cap space. They might be able to turn it around pretty quickly. How, by the way, becomes a fascinating backup as well. Like a guy that can come in oh, fresh sure. and not just like function at a high level, but is a complete X factor in terms of like dial up all of the crazy suicidal pinball plays the second you need him to win a game for you. I, I'm all for having Sam Howell as a backup. All right, let's just mention the score. Cincinnati Bengals 31, yeah. Cleveland Browns 14. Bengals finished the year 9-8. and eight. Uh, Browns fall to 11 and 6. Didn't matter. They already have the five seed, and they're going to Houston in round one. They pulled Dr- Jeff Driscoll out to get the start. It was ugly until a couple of late touchdowns. It was 31 nothing at one point for the Bengals. Um, I'll say this one preseason prediction that came true from us and others the, NF- the AFC North was loaded. And now this is the first division, I believe, in history yep. where all four teams finish with a winning record nailed that one sam nailed that prediction easier to do of course when you can be when you can't be 500 17 game schedule again ruining everything it ruins everything yeah we shouldn't even be here right now no no we should, we should already be on the beach we should be talking we should be talking about wild card games we I should mean, be look doing what six games instead of 16 when uh when the football season finishes mike clay gets like he's got like three month vacation on the beach that's where we should be right now that's what ESPN gives them? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, the I did find it quite funny that Jeff Driscoll's first pass, I think, was an interception. Yeah. All right, that's we're not talking about the football game. You don't want to talk about the anymore. football at all? Nothing. The only interesting thing here, I think, is we'll talk about the Browns this week or whoever fills in for me on Thursday, potentially, previewing the wild card games. We'll talk about Cleveland, their great season, Joe Flacco, and the whole thing. <laughs> the, one th- the Bengals narrative that I think is going to be real interesting here is they, they finished last. Yeah. They... Uh, where are they going to pick? 18th? Yeah, 18th for Cincinnati. They finished last. So they're going to have a last place schedule next year, Cincinnati, with Joe Burrow coming back. Decisions to be made on T. Higgins. Um, but our guy Timo posted today, they this year, with Jake Browning starting a bunch, Joe Burrow playing hurt, they had one of the hardest schedules in the NFL. Still finished 9-8. and eight. I think there's still, you know, it's a rough season. This is another good for game. For a team that made the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl the last couple of years. They're going to be in a better position next year, I think, to uh, to turn it around. This was another good game from Browning, by the way. Like, oh yeah. Outside of playing Pittsburgh, which this was legit Browns. This was as bad yeah, as possible right. for the teams that rested. Sure. Starters, so but. it doesn't mean as much. But he's also had other good games. Of I mean, course. literally outside of playing Pittsburgh, which admittedly is a bigger problem for the Bengals than it would be for a different team that doesn't play Pittsburgh twice every year. Outside of playing Pittsburgh, he's actually been really good for them as a quarterback. Um, Joe Mixon had a pretty big game. 
And Mixon was one of those players. Uh, Schefter dumped out a whole load of these before the week of like players playing for bonuses. Mixon had money on the line for a touchdown, I think, and got his got his money. Uh, that was about it. That's all I got for this game. So here's one. There's more news out here about oh, yeah? the Commanders. More news about the Commanders. The Commanders are hiring, per rap sheet and others, one of the best in sports, luring two-time NBA Executive of the Year, Bob Myers, to the NFL to help run their franchise. Okay. What's Rap he going to do? Bombshell. He's going to run the franchise. As like president? He's a four-time NBA champ, built the Warriors dynasty before stepping down to work in TV. He's going to help run their franchise. It sounds like this is a president GM type of role. Okay. For the commanders. That could eliminate Belichick immediately. I mean, if maybe. They already have. I mean, it might not, but very interesting. Executive role, um, pulling from other sports, which I, I think is is fascinating, smart. Well, that's where he came from, right? Josh Harris? Doesn't he, got, doesn't he own a basketball team or something as well? I don't know. You don't know? You're supposed to know this. You're American. I'm just a... There you go. See? He, he owned? Owns the yeah the Sixers. Thing. There you go. I told you. See? How do I know more about your sports than you do? I'm just locked into the football. Just laser focused, blinkered. Yeah. Uh, m- m- yeah. Anyway. So that's interesting. Pulling from the NBA here. But he's just pulling from what he knows. Like that's what everybody does, right? You come, you bring in people from wherever. Like Elon Musk bringing in SpaceX people to help run Twitter. Yeah. Like it's you just grab the people that you're familiar with. I'd bring in Billy Bean. You bring in so having just said that people pull from where they're from, you would bring in Billy Bean, not anybody from here. That's what you're telling me. Not just, I mean, not just Billy Bean. Hmm. I you you have a job for me as social media. I'm like your Twitter guy. That's not the same. He just pulled in somebody from basketball to you be would president have, listen, of the team. In all honesty, you would have the very special special advisor to the general manager role. <laughs> that is the the dream job. The uh, Every special advisor to a general manager the that fake I've job. known, yeah, they don't do anything. Right, the fake job. The yeah. you, I would give you the executive without portfolio. Absolutely, you'd right. be my my check and balance. You, Honestly, I would meet with you before meeting my billionaire owner. That would actually be your role. It's kind of insulting, but I think I'd take it. Yeah, I think I'd like that. You it's know, better than this job. Here's a, here's a high paying job where you don't do anything. Look, I know you well enough that that's your dream. I, it kind of is. Yeah, you I, care about getting paid. I think I'd like you that. You care about easy paths to getting paid I really do you 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 reference those things to me a lot Mm. I'm going to give you that thing that you like yeah I think I would enjoy that good so a lot of news here all right I've got no more use for Bengals Browns (laughs) no no neither did the day there was several games yesterday where it's like why is this game even still happening like can we not just call it now who would who would be sad are these going to become individual videos like (laughs) ready watch this individual video ready for this one Chiefs 13 Chargers 12 Blaine Gabbert leads a game-winning drive in this one. Chiefs go to 11-6. and six, Chargers fall to 5-12. and 12. Ah, this, No other notes. No, this was another game where uh, money was on the line. The, the Chiefs, obviously Blaine Gabbert's the quarterback. The Chiefs are playing all the backups, except Chris Jones is out here chasing a sack because Chris Jones had $1.25 million riding on it, and he eventually got it, and the sideline erupted like great. they'd won the Super Bowl. That's it was great. amazing. Like, they might have celebrated that more than they celebrated winning the Super Bowl last year. The entire team was going nuts over Chris Jones getting his sack finally because he'd been close throughout the game. 
Um, he was chasing that money, and he finally got the payday. Remember, Chris Jones held out in the offseason. Didn't go well. He had to sort of sign back for a relatively insulting deal, uh, or at least not a massive upgrade. And so getting a $1.25 million bonus for him was a pretty big deal. Yeah, he got huge. It. Good for Chris Jones. Good for Chris Jones. There was one touchdown in this game. Easton Stick strip-sacked, and uh, Mike Edwards returns it for 97 yards. That was the touchdown. Yeah. Then there was uh, one, two, three, four, five, six field goals. Last week, Harrison Butker finished the, the game with six field goals. This game itself, the last two Chiefs games, have finished with six straight field goals as far as the scoring goes. How about that? Somebody look that up. Where are you now, Elias? Look that up. How many back-to-back games have finished with six straight field goals as the uh, scoring? Harrison Butker, 41-yard game, 41 game-winning field goal. Chiefs win the meaningless game. They're now going to host the Miami Dolphins next week, Saturday night, in 10-degree weather in Kansas City. Mm. 60 dropbacks for Easton, for Easton Stick. That's like doubling his career total at this point. Yeah, there's a lot of dropbacks. Um, Chiefs finished with the number two scoring defense in the NFL. Locked it in with this 12-point uh, outing here against the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, their defense has been fantastic. And the defense had more kind of first-string people, I guess, than the offense did in this game, although still fairly heavily backups. But Chris Jones had a ton of pressure. Um, yeah, like Kansas City's defense is really good, and that's why they're still dangerous in the playoffs. You got no more use for this game. Let's talk about some more useless games. Just a high-quality video right there. Uh, we shouldn't make it a video. We shouldn't. But I don't I know. If they contract- want to do it, they want to do it. That's fine. I think we but- might be contractually obliged to. Oh, well, it's week 18. Well, I appreciate you adding some, some color to it then. Some, Las- me- some meat on the bone. Las Vegas Raiders 27, Denver Broncos 14. God, this was another game that felt like, why is it taking place? Well, you have to play out the string, man. Do you, though? You do. Like, if you just call the game in the third quarter, would anybody really be sad? Both teams finish 8-9, and nine, tied for second place in the AFC West. Uh, Chiefs become the only team in the AFC West with a winning record, officially. And that's it. Samir White goes 25 carries for 112. Uh, Aiden O'Connell goes 20 of 31 for 244 and two touchdowns. Um, once again, Aiden O'Connell, like every other week, looks like a, looks like a reasonable starter. Yeah, he had a solid game. He also had this – he had one of those plays where, um, like, the ball just fell out of his hand on a pump fake. I kind of feel like even if it goes forward, that should be a fumble. Like, if you can't yeah. keep hold of the football while you're pump faking, I don't feel like you should get bailed out just because you managed to lose it whilst your hand was going forwards. Ball was going forward. Like, if it, if you just drop the ball, you drop the ball. It should be a fumble. Um Aiden O'Connell had a, fa- a fascinating touchdown to Devontae Adams where uh, it's in the red zone. Um, I forget who the player was. Who was the guy covering Adams? Uh, give me a second and I'll dig it up. I just want to say O'Connell, his two big-time throws, a bomb to Trey Tucker, and then a, just a – it was a 17-yarder, but pocket movement and then just an absolute laser beam in between – That was such a nice throw. In between three defenders. Yeah. I mean, those are the – those are the plays last year in the offseason we're watching his tape being like, man, there's some special throws on his film. So he had this play to uh, to Devontae Adams for a touchdown over Jaquan McMillan. Um, and McMillan actually covered it really, really well. Adams sort of gave him the stutter in the end zone and then broke off. And McMillan read it, covered him perfectly and was all over him. And the pass that Aiden O'Connell dropped in had so much air under it that McMillan made a total and utter mess of the ball when it arrived. 
Like, I think he expected it to be coming at significantly faster velocity or with a much lower arc or whatever it was. Like, he he just didn't expect there to be that much air under the ball. So he'd, like, covered Adams off the release, was locked in on him, was in his – had Adams in his hip pocket, and then, like, looks back for the ball, goes up to play it. Like, there it is. And it's like, oh, no, it's not arriving yet. It's like it's going to hang there for another second or two. And he just, like, dived past the ball onto the floor – and Adams was able to just like stand there and wait and the ball drops into his hands with McMillan having prostrated himself in front of him. It was just, I don't know if that was deliberate by O'Connell or not to like, I'm going to specifically put a lot more air under this and drop it into a bucket. I mean, if it was, it was amazing. If it wasn't, he, he ended up just getting very lucky because McMillan having made, like done all the hard work of you just covered Devontae Adams trying to shake you loose in the end zone. He then took himself out of the play by just diving out of his way. Um, the, the one early highlight for Denver, 24-yard touchdown to Jerry Judy. Got him Dude, isolated. Jerry Judy randomly, like now he shows up. The season's done. You benched your quarterback. Where the hell, why is Jerry Judy terrible? He had multiple plays in this game where he was just outrunning people, run after the catch, like elusive Jerry Judy. Yeah, to me, the big, not takeaways from this game, but coming out of this, uh, both teams – have quarterback decisions coming up this offseason both teams have maybe receivers that will end up elsewhere guys like Jerry Judy Cortland Sutton uh, Devontae Adams for the Raiders I mean there's a, it feels like both of these teams could have a lot of turnover at key positions with big names uh, coming off eight and nine seasons uh, you know to me it's it's probably a disappointment for the Broncos even though they weren't great last year because of having Russell Wilson and having Sean Payton for the Raiders it feels like they overachieved. They overcame early issues with Josh McDaniels, you know, benching Jimmy Garoppolo, going with Aiden O'Connell, and it was a good finish here for Antonio Pierce. And um, a lot of people think Antonio Pierce is the guy that should be getting the job. Again, we've talked a lot about the uh, the interim head coach hiring him full time. Personally, I think it's risky. I don't think you're not risky, but I, I don't know that you're what you're evaluating. But it feels that there's a lot of uh, the groundswell for Antonio Pierce and the energy he's bringing, the way the defense played down the stretch. There's a big push for Antonio Pierce to be the guy. I don't necessarily disagree with it. I'm just interested to see what the Raiders do here. I think at this point it's very difficult to not hire him, um, not 100% because of what he's done, but because you did it before with Rich Bisaccia and it went terribly. Yeah. So now, like, Bisaccia – did a really good job. He galvanized everybody. And instead, you're like, no, nah, I'm going to go for the big splashy name, bring in Josh McDaniels. And that was a disaster. Now the same thing is happening. Antonio Pierce comes in. He galvanized everybody. The team loves him. Like every Raider you hear says, I want this guy to be head coach. The fans love him. So everybody wants you to hire this guy. You didn't do it the last time they wanted that to happen. If you don't get it right this time, there's going to be a lot of pissed off people. Like if you, you know, if you have decided that we're not giving it to Antonio Pierce, you have to nail the hiring. Otherwise, you're going to get all kinds of blowback from this. So I'm not – I also think, you know, I mean, Antonio Pierce's resume as a coach prior to this is terrible. Like he, he had a failed stint as a high school head coach, and then he didn't do well in a sequence of jobs at Arizona or Arizona State, one of those two. That didn't go well either. And you're like, there's literally nothing on his resume that says he's going to be a good head coach. But we also know that being a good head coach has very little to do with, like, coaching. It's 
man management, it's culture setting, it's tying everything else together. It's, you know, it's all this other stuff, right? And while I don't think being an interim head coach is necessarily proof that you're going to be good at that, it's probably as good a resume as you can put forward. Like the really important part is probably hiring coordinators and all the other stuff, right? So, I mean, this is, I, I don't know that you can do a better job of interviewing for the job than what he's just done. Like if, if, if Mark Davis decides, actually, the guy I want is Ben Johnson, right? I don't know what Ben Johnson can do in an interview that, ha- that would provide a better case than what Antonio Pierce has just done. The, the case for Antonio Pierce might be someone like Dan Campbell in Detroit. Right. Because he's clearly had a ton of success there. Not by because again, what is what's his what's his scheme? What did he bring? He wasn't a play caller. He wasn't, you know, the next genius offensive coordinator. He was CEO, culture setter, and everything that you said. If you view Antonio Pierce as that guy, then you know you'll learn that in interviews. You know, you'll learn that in the interviews as well, and in what his plan is. But Dan Campbell actually might be in you know, Campbell plus Basaccia might be the thing that gives Pierce the job for the Raiders. Get no more use for that game. Let's go. Other 4 o'clock games. Uh, Seattle Seahawks 21, Arizona Cardinals 20. Seahawks finish 9-8. and eight. Uh, Cardinals fall to 4-13 and 13 to finish the season. Cardinals are now going to pick at number 4 overall. There was a point in yesterday where Arizona and the Chargers were both playing to win with the 4-5 and five picks in the draft on yeah. the line. Both trying to win. Both ended up losing and ended up Arizona at 4, uh, Chargers at 5. But... Nobody was tanking yesterday. No, I mean, the Chargers had a game-winning kick that, had they put it over, would have dropped them a spot on, in, the, in the draft. Yes. Um, this was, uh, you know, Arizona playing tough once again. Seattle's up 13-6. to six. There were so many games this year where Arizona, as the underdog, was down and should have been down, and they came back. And they come back to tie again, 13-13, to 13, with a James Conner 29-yard touchdown. Then Kyler Murray hits Trey McBride for eight yards. Trey McBride, what a great season he ends yeah. up having. That's a, a beautiful piece for Arizona to help uh, to build around on that offense. Um, so Arizona goes up 20-13. to 13, And then Geno Smith, man, did it again. Comeback attempt. Maybe with the playoffs on the line. I think by this game, they, they needed the Packers to lose. The Packers Bears game was like record time yeah, fast. Yeah, it was already done, I think. So you probably right. you already knew that they were out, but Geno Smith leads another fourth quarter comeback. He's been doing that a ton these last five or six weeks of the season uh, with a touchdown to Tyler Lockett. They go for two, hit, he hits Tyler Lockett again. That going for two was for the win to go up by one. Of course, like you said, Arizona had another field goal opportunity for the win, but they miss it. So Seattle locks in the 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 winning season nine nine to eight nine and eight but just miss out on the playoffs yeah um and honestly i mean arizona should have won this game um you look at some of the box score numbers and i mean obviously so they got themselves in a position they missed a was a 51 yarder in a dome you know 51 yards in the dome it's not like it's routine but pretty makeable should be able to hit it yeah particularly for a kicker of that experience matt prater um you know, he's made plenty of those in his career. But you look at some of the box score numbers. I mean, Arizona outgained Seattle by a massive number, like 140 yards-ish. They averaged way more per play. They had much better EPA per play. Uh, and, of course, as I said, they put themselves in a position to win that. Um, they, another game where the run game was a really big part of it. Like James Conner had a monster game, ends up with 150 rushing yards, averaged almost five yards per carry after contact. 
4.8 yards per carry after contact, five explosive runs. Seattle's defense just couldn't stop James Conner, particularly late in the game. Um, that final drive where Arizona were trying to, to go for the win, like it looked like they'd done it. They had a really nice pass to, to Michael Wilson, then a kind of speed option pitch out to, to James Conner. They got themselves into field goal range, uh, and they couldn't quite get it done with the kick. Uh, another game where Seattle's, as you mentioned, with James Conner's success, nine for, uh, missed tackles by Seattle's run defense. Last week they had 15 against Steelers running backs. Rough finish to the season for Seattle. Um, the discussion in Seattle is, you know, is Geno Smith good enough to build around? And he's going to finish uh, just outside the top 12, I believe, in PFF grading. He's right on the cusp. Um, as I, I tweeted last night, the top of the top 12 graded pff quarterbacks 10 of them are in the playoffs the other two are kirk cousins who had a chance at the playoffs but got hurt for the season and then justin herbert who obviously missed the season uh the rest of the season but they were they weren't going to make the playoffs anyway so um 10 out of the top 12 may, uh make the playoffs top 12 graded pff quarterbacks geno smith probably right outside that top 12 once the final grades come out but he had another another good season overall when you add it all up you know there were some some down points in there, but man, he was really good down the stretch. I think Seattle's just got to figure out that defense, their front seven again, I think has let them down. It's many years now in the Pete Carroll era where they feel a little underwhelming from a pass rush perspective. And then, the, you know, once again, the run defense these last few weeks was not great. Um, and then from Arizona, another good game for Kyler Murray. He finishes strong. There was a point where they were sitting there at the number two pick and I thought they should consider a quarterback there they could still consider a quarterback if they want but it's not, it's far less likely now I think it's going to be Kyler and now they have a chance to really add some weapons and more offensive linemen everything around him the way this draft has fallen yeah I mean given the contract that he's been signed to already I think that their starting position should probably have been and should be do we see anything in this second half of the year stretch that Murray's going to come back off knee injury that says he can't be the guy and I, I honestly think most of that takes place behind the scenes anyway. It's less what do you see on the field, and it's more, um, hey, the previous regime wrote a clause into his contract that says he has to do homework. Like, is that actually a thing, or are they just crazy? And that's why they don't have the job anymore. Uh, so it's like, you know, is Murray the leader we need? Is he? Is there anything we see that's like a massive red flag behind the scenes in the building that says this guy cannot be our starting quarterback going forward? If you don't see any of that, between what he's shown on the field coming back this year and like previous resume in a different offense where you know one year he led the league in big time throw rate he's obviously an athletic uh quarterback that's a real threat with his legs like all these things is already there in terms of tape so you put those two things together i think and you have your quarterback going forward and now you're in position to maybe you know draft a marvin harrison jr or whatever by the way our friend uh, rick spielman is going to be a part of this Commanders in Washington. I don't know if he's part of. Here's what Schefter's saying: In a sweeping overhaul, Commanders owner Josh Harris has hired two prominent executives, former Warriors GM Bob Myers and then former Vikings GM Rick Spielman, to assist his group in searches for a new head of football operations and coach. Okay. So those guys are going to help in like the search. A, yeah. For the front office search committee. Through the search committee, I guess. So I'm going to text Rick right now. See if you can get yourself in that. You could be in the search committee. Um, There's probably money in that. I'm refining. 
I know I should be part of this. I should absolutely be part of this. That's what I'm saying. It's got to be consultancy money in that. Then I would suggest myself. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure that's how the search committee usually works. I'm going to. I did a. I did a commander's mock draft. Yeah. Posted on Twitter the other night. I'm going to send that to Rick. Okay. See what he thinks. Pass this on to Josh. Mm. See what happens. I think I, I think you can either be on the committee or you can recommend yourself for the role. I don't think you can do both at the same time. I'd rather recommend myself for the role. Okay. Send Rick my resume, which is a Twitter mock draft. And Strong. The Strong resume. I'm refining the model. I'm refining it right now. I do have to talk to Rick about that anyway. I got no more use for this game. Seattle 20, Arizona. What? Seattle 21 to 20 over Arizona. Um, a game that really did matter. Green Bay Packers 17, Bears 9. Packers move to 9 and 8. Go to the playoffs. Playoffs, baby. Jordan Love, another incredible game, man. 27 of 32 for 316, two touchdowns. Uh, the only thing that really made this somewhat close and only 17 points for the Packers in a game where your quarterback dominated, Aaron Jones goes 22 carries for 111 yards. How did that happen? Uh, Packers miss a field goal early on, and then at the end of the half, uh, throw a pass outside the numbers, don't get out of bounds, left it more points on the table. So Packers move the ball extremely well here, and Jordan Love, man, just keeps doing it, just keeps throwing the ball, just incredible accuracy, it, whether he's throwing – balanced off balance doesn't matter unreal what jordan love has done the second half of the season yeah he he was absolutely dialed in again um I, I don't know if there's another quarterback that gets into that zone better than jordan love like when he's on he's absolutely amazing but then we have had these runs this year where it's fallen apart again he's kind of regressed and, and gone backwards a bit i don't know if you just look at that in the in the hole and say I think Kirk Cousins described it as like a stock market, you know, where the days go up and down and look, but you just look at the broad trend line and see where that's going. Like the broad trend line for Jordan Love is is headed in the right direction pretty quickly, and it's a pretty strong line upwards, like the line of best fit or whatever. It's just that on a game-to-game basis, it can bounce all over the place a bit. We've, I think at some point in our hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of talking to each other, hmm. I've compared that that streakiness to Josh Allen, right? I mean, Josh Allen, even when he was when when he started to become a star, when he got it, it was like, man, the the best of Josh Allen is out of this world. But it, you know, he couldn't always keep it going. The best of Jordan Love really is incredible, and it's and and we've looked at this historically through the years. I mean, you know, Dak Prescott this year has five games at ninety plus PFF grade and three in the forties. That is as volatile as it gets. I don't know if love is different here because I think he's had like he wasn't great on Monday Night Football against the Giants in Week 14. It was pretty good against the Bucks in Week 15, but it wasn't like these other games. But the games where he's been on Thanksgiving against the Lions, Sunday Night Football against the Chiefs, Sunday Night Football against the Vikings, yesterday against the Bears, when he has been on, the feel, the touch, uh, the vision, see in the field, and then just the accuracy, man. The accuracy for a guy early in the season who was missing so many throws, it's been like night and day for Jordan Love. When he is on, it is unbelievably on. I mean, I've said that about Stafford through the years. There might be, because Love is everything, every time Jordan Love does anything good, anything, like, oh, that reminds Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. This might be Stafford. It might actually be Matthew Stafford where the, the very best 
of Matthew Stafford for years. I've said this a thousand times on this show. The very best of Matthew Stafford showed up three or four times a year, and it was spectacular. It was unbelievable. But it was really only three or four times a year. The rest of it was good. Right now, is that what love is going to be? The three or four times that he shows up, it is out of this world, and the rest of it will be fine. But when he is on, Jordan Love looks as good as any other quarterback in the NFL the way he plays. You know the way you don't look at, like, box score numbers anymore generally yeah you know who leads the nfl in touchdown passes well, i know i know it's dak and then love i did yeah. look at that recently dak and then love yeah like jordan love is second in the nfl in touchdown love leads uh purdy you know missed yesterday no because i um i tried to engagement tweet that the other night the other night no, tried to see. you know just farm in those uh it probably you know, probably earned a good 75 cents yeah that tweet wow good 75 cents from elon on that one um, but after the Sunday night football game, he was third in passing touchdowns. And then Purdy sat out and Love jumped up to two. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, way back in weeks one and two, he had six touchdowns in two games. PFF grades weren't great. So w- what is our job is to always to kind of explain that. Why is the PFF grade not great? And he's got 120 passer rating. Well, his receivers were breaking tackles and he had a tap pass and he had wide open passes in the flat and he missed a bunch of stuff. Now the stats are legit for love, and he's playing better. So again, our job is to explain that and just describe what's happening. Yeah, and the Jordan accuracy Love's playing far better now than he was earlier in the year. He really is. The accuracy again in this game, like this is the thing: when he gets dialed in, when he hits that zone, when he just is feeling this is going to be a good game. Because remember, even earlier in the year when he wasn't playing great, he tended to turn it on in the in the second half or the fourth quarter. He would go on a stretch where it's like, oh, he's he's dialed in now, like he's. I don't know why it took a half of the game to get going, but now he's back and we're, we're playing well again. It's just that like the grade wouldn't necessarily reflect it because the first half had been crappy, and so you average the two out and it's not great. But he did get into this dialed-in area repeatedly, even when he wasn't playing overall amazing. And then when he has his good games, that happens right away. And for the whole game, he's just in this zone. And you know, you, you listen to some Packers either beat writers or, or sort of, uh, you know, just the team-based uh, guys. And they're like, he's like that in training camp. Like he would have these games or these days rather where very early in training camp, you're like, oh, it's one of these days where love's just not missing. Like we're going to be absolutely in the zone in this day. And he just hits everything. He had a, an adjusted completion rate of 85% effectively in this game. That's nuts. And again, like he's still working without a full deck in terms of all of his his receivers you know Musgrave was back in this game didn't play much but they still don't have um, Christian Watson like it's not all of his receivers and yet again as has been the case all the way through the year all of those young guys played well <laughs> Jaden Reed four catches for 112 Bo Melton with five for 62 again could have had another a touchdown in there as well Dontavian Wicks with the two touchdowns 61 receiving yards Tucker Craft I mean it's the youngest offense youngest team in the nfl especially on the offense not even close and love has done this i mean these if you gave a veteran quarterback this receiving core and they struggled any of them mahomes or dak or lamar or any quarterback and you said josh allen and you said well this is what they built around this guy well of course and it didn't work you say it didn't work you would say well of course they invested in you know, Dontavian Wicks and Tucker Craft and Jaden Reed. Of course it didn't work. Instead, Jordan Love, in his first year as a starter, took these guys, who apparently are very good, and the Packers have nailed a ton of draft picks in the last two years, 
and they've become one of the more effective offenses now, especially second half of the season. Um, and their offensive line has become much improved as well. Uh, guys like Rasheed Walker has now nailed down that left tackle spot. And, I mean, he did not look like a even an adequate NFL starter earlier in the year. Now he's he was rotating at left tackle. Now he's kind of nailed down that starting spot and looks legit. Zach Tom has already been a really good uh, caliber player. Uh, Elton Jenkins, like now you're rounding out what is a pretty good offensive line in addition to the young receiving core and Jordan Love playing out of his mind. The defense has played a lot better as well. Like for the second week in a row, Joey Barry right on the verge of getting fired has been like, all right, now I'll pull out all the good stuff. And they did a much better job against Fields than they did in the first game. Uh, the, the, the first time they played uh, Chicago and previously in the season, that's now back-to-back games where they've shown up and done really well. And you're like, where the hell was this defense for most of the year? But it all comes together and you're like, nobody wants to play that team in the playoffs. Uh, for Fields, just to touch on the Bears a little bit, he finishes 11 of 16 for 148, um, got sacked five times and ran for 27 yards. Fields, uh, likely his last start with the Bears, I would expect. You know, again, last week at this time, we're like, hey, they're making a decision and it's more intriguing and they're, they're trending up. And I thought if, you know, look, if they beat the Packers and knocked them out of the playoffs, it, it would have felt like, hey, there's a big decision to be made here. I think when you sit down, though, and evaluate the whole thing, whether they had won or not, and say, we're picking at one, and there's a couple of good, good, a couple of good quarterbacks on the board there, Caleb Williams, Drake May, whoever else you want to, whoever else you want to put in that mix, they're going to pick a quarterback at the end of the day. I believe they will. We'll see. Maybe they trade down and pick up seven other picks. Who knows? But um, could have been the end for Fields here. Seven and ten Bears uh, trending in the right direction. But so is the rest of the NFC North, man. Packers-Lions Packers next year is going to be – oh, man, it's going to look it's gonna look like a, a deep NFC North, especially because the Bears have uh, draft capital, money to spend still. The Bears have a lot to improve on that team as well. So that the whole division's trending in the right direction. It was the first game in a while where Fields didn't help his cause, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, it may, may not have changed anything. It's one game in, in his entire career, but for a while, every week, he had been making the decision more difficult for Chicago. This one at least went in the other direction, at least in terms of, you know, making their life easier. It went in the opposite direction, and he didn't uh, help his cause in terms of staying as the starter. The other player that deserves a shout out in this game, Aaron Jones, was fantastic. Like yeah. when he's on, he's such a good running back. Just that quickness, that speed, the elusiveness. Again, in this season where all of the top-graded running backs, almost to a man, are smaller, shiftier, faster, explosive running backs, like Aaron Jones is that type of back, and when he's on, makes that offense so much better. I, I just love the way the NFC matchups played out. I love that we get Stafford, Goff, Lions, Rams, and I love that we get Packers-Cowboys. So Mike McCarthy going up against his old team, the Packers, but not Aaron Rodgers. It's you know upstart Jordan Love as a seven seed going into Dallas next week in the 4 o'clock window. It's going to be fun. So uh, good job. The NFL Playoff Committee got really good matchups. Really good matchups this year. We done with that one? Yep. We got one, two, three. All right, four games left. Not much time. Let's touch on this one. Giants 27, Eagles 10. Ooh. Eagles fall to 11 and 6. 
crisis Number five seed going to the Bucks. Absolute crisis mode right now. I, I can't think of too many teams that have <laughs> are going into the playoffs in this level of chaos and catastrophe. I mean, their defense has been a disaster for a while. Uh, their offense matched them in this game. They played the starters because they actually had something to play for. The division was on the line. Seeding was on the line. And with everything to play for, they were getting wrecked by the Giants and bailed on it before halftime. Like, okay, Dallas was winning. So if Dallas beat Washington, the division, everything they were playing for was essentially gone anyway. But theoretically, they still had something to play for in, in this game. And we're getting... We're doing such a bad job of it, and it was becoming so costly that before halftime, they pulled the starters. Now, at this point, A.J. Brown had been hurt. He got hurt on like a routine slant, and uh, Nick McLeod forces a fumble, like gets beaten on the slant and then stays with it, comes in with the sort of tomahawk chop on the ball, forces the fumble, gets the ball out, and hurts A.J. Brown in the process. So they've lost Brown in the game. Uh, Jalen Hurts wrecks his finger like looked I've never seen a man so composed that the fact that his finger is mangled and clearly not the way a finger is supposed to be he just kind of looks at it he's like has this like slightly annoyed and frustrated look on his face but like that that was it like disappointed that his body has let him down in such a pathetic way he's very upset yeah. yeah but then they just like popped it back and sent him back out there so Eventually, they pull all the starters. Jalen Hurts goes out. Uh, Brown's already out. They pull um, Kelsey and Lane Johnson, I think, from the offensive line. But this was all before halftime. That was how bad they had been wrecked by the Giants, who, remember, a couple of weeks ago with the team, they're like, well, even if they beat the Giants by 20, it's not going to mean anything. It was a tough balance because they they assumed the Cowboys were going to beat the Commanders, which obviously happened. Spoiler alert. We haven't gotten to that game yet. Um, But, yeah, I mean, even – I think the big concern is this Eagles defense, man. It's it's the offense. I, I don't, how hurt is AJ Brown? Is he going to be back next week? I don't know yet. That's a big one, obviously. Um, I have fewer concerns about the Eagles offense, even though I thought for much of the season they had issues. The number of times there is a receiver running through the middle of this Eagles defense with no eagle in sight is unbelievable. It is. It is bad, man. It is a bad defense right now. Explosive plays that they're giving up, the big plays that they're giving up in the passing game the last six or seven weeks of the season. Um, So this is going to be a great test of, I would say, like the underlying metrics versus the trend line. But the underlying metrics for the Eagles aren't necessarily great either. You know, they were sitting there at 10-1 and at one point with all sorts of one-score losses. I think if... Because if they hadn't been in the Super Bowl last year and such a good team, we would have squinted and said, this is last year's Vikings team. I actually saw some people reference that. If we were as hard on last year's Vikings team that kept sneaking out one loss, uh, one score wins, the Eagles had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven one loss wins, uh, one score wins out of their first 10 wins. And since that point, They've lost five out of six. Like the whole thing completely regressed. And if, so if they didn't have that baseline of, hey, last year they were the most well-rounded team in the NFL. They lose to Kansas City in a tough one in the Super Bowl. If we didn't have that first, we would have said, ah, these guys are kind of frauds at 10-1, and one. right? And now they, they look more like the 2020 Steelers that were 11-0 and 0 
and then fell off the map yeah. because they should have than they do like the defending Super Bowl champs that you know knew how to win. Right, because it's easy when they're I mean, sorry, Super Bowl runner-up, NFC champs who know how to win. Of course, that's why they're ten and one. They make all the comebacks. They they find a way to win. Well, they stopped finding a way to win, and they stopped you know playing defense over the last month and a half of the season. They did. I mean, they are in absolute freefall at the moment. This is crisis time. Um, they've already made a change at in coaching on the defensive side. Remember, they they basically gave it over to Matt Patricia. They might need a search committee for someone to call plays. In the next week. Yeah, or to right. play linebacker. That too. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one of, I, I think the Eagles, like this season, have the Eagles been a better team than the Bucks? Yeah, I think so. But you have two teams um, trending in complete opposite directions, right? The Bucks were 2-7 and seven at one point, and the Eagles are 1-5 in five in their last six games. Yeah, and so, getting worse. So trending and momentum or whatever you want to call it going to the playoffs it's all going to get tested when eagles play the bucks and we need to give a shout out um to cam brown with one of the best special teams plays i've seen in a long time uh coming through is going to run into the punter but in such a way that it was like it would have been a weak as hell call so he's like no i refuse to allow this to happen i am going to grab the punter and hold him up and prevent him from falling over and the punter was going for it, it he was for one of the funniest he was trying to videos. fall like he was trying to hit the deck and this guy was like no not happening and he's like literally holding him up to prevent him hitting the turf eventually keeps his balance holds him up doesn't let him hit the ground and the official sort of behind it is like yeah all right cool no harm no foul and lets it, was, it play on it was a great play good work cam brown I did watch that special teams play, mm-hmm. for the record. Um, got no more use for this game. Giants finished the season 6-11. and 11. They're going to pick sixth overall. Will you draft a quarterback? Maybe. We'll spend the whole offseason. Almost every team in the top ten could pick a quarterback, except the Chargers, I would say. Sound right? Maybe the Titans with Levis? Yeah. I think every team, in the, and then the Bears pick twice. Jets at 10. So, six out of the top eight, maybe, picking QBs? Yeah, probably. Or at least in the market. Another pretty good game by Tyrod Taylor, by the way. Oh, yeah, Tyrod. Big plays, man. Came out of the game for a little bit because he got hurt, and Cutlets came in for a few snaps, but then Taylor was back, had a few really nice passes again, like two or three big-time throws. Really nice one to Waller, hit Saquon on a wheel. I mean, these are all, not all, but a lot of wide-open plays here from the in the Eagles' defense, but Taylor's been good this season. He has been pretty I kind of wonder. I mean, he was a good caliber starting quarterback. Don't, don't. don't. It's nine. It's that nine they went, nine. You don't need to theorize they went back about to Josh Allen. the 12th year of Tyrod in the NFL if he could do something. I'm not asking that. I'm wondering what the hell happened in the middle of his career where he looked like he couldn't function. He was like a good caliber starting quarterback, and now he's a good caliber starting so backup. Limited. He was limited throwing to the middle of the field, taking too many sacks. He was limited. But there was a stretch in the middle where he is like, this is horrific. This is one of the worst caliber. This is like not – we thought he's a – In Cleveland, he was – He's in that world where you're like that, you know, quarterback 25 to 37 or whatever. He was in that world consistently and has been for his entire career and maybe higher. And and there was the stretch in Cleveland where like, this is horrendous. What is happening? 
What did, what happened there? I don't know. We'll have to do a whole show on it. We should. Someday. Got to tell you about our friends over at AG1. Great way to kick off the day. We drink it every day here on the PFF NFL podcast. I like to kick off my day with a little coffee, a little AG1. Drink it in the morning. Makes me feel great. Combine that with my caffeine. Give me all the nutrients that I need to start the day. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them also drink AG1, and I'm a huge fan because they do it. Those athletes, they know it's good for their body because with every daily serving, they're setting themselves up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give us the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. Just mix one small scoop with water, drink it first thing every morning, and you're done. Also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's this really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients, a win-win for everybody here on the PFF NFL Podcast. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. You go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. We have more breaking news <clears throat> on Black Spielman Monday. Spielman hired himself? No. The, uh, the Panthers won't just have a new head coach in 2024, but a new GM as well, as owner David Tepper has fired GM Scott Fitter. Sources tell uh, Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero in what becomes a full house cleaning for Carolina. It's a sad day for former pitchers turned NFL experts. Mm. I believe Fitterer was a minor league pitcher. Really? Yeah, inspirational, really. So you're not even the most high-profile former minor league pitcher turned football person i think you could say i'm more high profile than scott fitterer really yeah i mean we're not once we have our award once we have our award right like if you ask the chat right now who do you know steve or fitterer they'd say me yeah i'm just saying that's the live chat we're not currently breaking down your you know job prospects we're talking about fitterer he got fired yeah i still have a job (laughs) that's what you think Sorry, was that For now? That's not how we're supposed to let him know. At least, well, I'm not going to be here the rest of the week. So <laughs> you, fig- you figure that out. That's true. Okay, so that's wide open. I yeah. mean, I would take, I would take a couple cups of water to the face for the millions for working, working for Tepper. You, you would debase yourself for the yeah. money. I would sit through those, through those meetings. I mean, I would, I would take that job and. Get as much, get as many years in the contract as humanly possible, knowing right. that I'll serve two of them, yeah. max. I would, I mean, I would do one. I mean, I had this conversation with the family. Look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave for a year. You're not gonna see me for a year. We're gonna have millions at the end of it. Yeah. I'm gonna miss one year of life of you know my four kids to go do this GM job, but I'm getting canned soon. Yeah. And our four or five year contract. Look, I'll mail back a lot of money and then, then I'll be back at home in and a year. Daddy year. will make up for a it. year tops. With way more time on his hands doing nothing. Yeah. That's, that's the American dream. All right, let's talk more football. Los Angeles Rams 21, 49ers 20. Rams move to 10 and 7. And because of this, they get the number six seed. I just, I love all of the massive implications in week 18. So you have Carson Wentz getting the start for the Rams. And it's uh, the, the Niners are up 20-7. to seven, And Carson Wentz leads the comeback. Not Touch, on my watch. Touchdown to make it 20-13. to 13. They miss an extra point, which means 
Carson Wentz on a 12-yard draw. And I've got, I've got a question about Wentz here oh, yeah? as we head into the playoffs. 12-yard draw. Wentz scores the touchdown. Rams go for two with five minutes left. Take the lead. It was Wentz. Carson Wentz to 2-2 Atwell. That was a really nice throw. Right? So Carson Wentz to 2-2 Atwell yeah. was the reason the Rams won and we got to see Stafford Goff because the, the Rams win secures them the sixth seed instead of the seventh seed. And it got us the, you know, the cooler matchup. So I thought that was exciting. But the, um, the Wentz dozer, Sam, 17 carries for 56 yards, Carson Wentz yesterday. I think there's some kneels in there, but he was they were running him like crazy. Carson no, they went were. the Wentz dozer. The Wentz do dozer. the Rams break out the Wentz dozer for the playoffs? Do they do they have a special package for Carson Wentz? At the very minimum, and this should be not even a question, Carson Wentz should be the Los Angeles Rams designated sneak quarterback. Because Matthew Stafford is the yes. worst quarterback sneaker I've ever seen it. in my life. And Carson Wentz is pretty good at it and huge. So immediately, some edges that you should exploit. Immediately make that switch. I don't care if you have a designated Carson Wentz dozer rushing package, but he should be the designated sneak quarterback right now. Do not ever let Matthew Stafford attempt another quarterback sneak. I just think there's something to think about. I'm going to text Zach and see if they've got a plan. I won't tell anybody. I won't even be here on the show this week sure. to, to tell anybody, but I'm going to find out if they're going to break out some Wentz dozer and uh, run him a little bit. Okay. Um, so yeah, Wentz he had, had four a, first downs on the ground. Yeah, Wentz had a pretty good game. I mean, the rushing stuff, the passing was good as well. I mean, that that two point conversion, high leverage play, that wasn't open. Like there was a dude all over him, and he threaded that pass in there beautifully. Wentz played really well. Darnold played okay, uh, reasonably well. Then he fumbled it away at the end. Yeah, not great when the game's on the line. But Darnold wanted to see that matchup. He wanted to see Stafford and the and He just the wanted Lions. to see the story. He wanted to see it. He wanted to see Packers-Cowboys. He knew that was good for the ratings, Packers-Cowboys. And Carson Wentz was able to get Puka Nakua just enough to break all the rookie records. Oh, man, they were trying. I think he had three of them right on the line, at least two. Yeah. And he got them, both of them. Uh, all. I mean, he only had four catches for 41 yards, so... <laughs> he didn't get him much more than he needed, but, but it just took him what he needed. The second half, they kept trying to force it to yeah. him, and I think he dropped one in there. Did he have an actual drop? It was such a fascinating record. Yeah, he had two drops in there. Uh, like we had been talking about it, I think off the air a while ago, and you're like, "Is it was it Jefferson?" I was like, "It's either Jefferson or Chase." Who had the rookie receiving yard record? Yeah, yeah. and it wasn't. It was some guy from the 1960s. Um, and you did some research on Bill it. Groman yeah. from 1960 had 1,473 yards in 13 games. So I, He still has the real record because we're sitting here in a 17-game schedule. Right, like you don't anybody care. could break this record. Absolutely. Anybody. Yeah. So when you look at the list, they showed like you know most receiving yards from a rookie. And obviously it's Puka Nakua now. But then it's a bunch of guys that have been in the 17-game schedule. Uh, Anquan Bolden in 2003 and Randy Moss. And then Bill Groman in 1960 for the Houston Oilers, who Bill Groman had... 2,500 yards and 29 touchdowns in two years before wrecking his knee and then was like never the same guy again. We, we got robbed of like of a, another Randy Moss that we never got to see because he ruined his knee. What were his uh, listed positions on pro football reference? Oh, it's like wide receiver and left end. Yeah, end, just end. I'm Back just saying, when that was a thing. This guy may have been Randy Moss and J.J. Watt for all we know. It's true. Could have been both. You know, doubles down as a two-gap and five-tech. 
that was that in the AF- front. 60 would have been the AFL, right? It wasn't even the... It's not the NFL. You give... Forget it. You hmm? give a lot of credit to the dudes in the 60s playing in like a six-team league. I'm just saying. They might have put up some numbers. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, most important thing here is the Rams play the Lions, and I'm excited for that. Uh, Niners played guys like Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, and I think they stayed healthy, right? They yeah. had to buy. Sam Darnold played football. Sam Darnold played football. Is that it? Yeah, Congrats to Puka on the record. It counts. It, it, it's real. Those guys didn't play much anyway. I mean, they had like 10 snaps or whatever. Yeah. Chris Conley creating big plays for the 49ers. Chris Conley. They can unlock anybody. 48-yarder in there. Ray Ray McLeod, Ronnie Bell. That's who they were trotting out for the most of it. Yeah. So I think that's it other than the Cowboys game. Do we get everything? And Buffalo-Miami. And, of course, Sunday Night Football. Uh, Cowboys 38, Commanders 10. Cowboys moved to 12-5. and five. They secured the two seed here and, again, hosting the Packers in the playoffs. Uh, Commanders fall to 4-13. and 13. We already mentioned they, they fire Ron Rivera. They're in the middle of uh, a search for uh, the next everything in that, in that building. Mm-hmm. New executive, new head coach, full turnover here in Washington. Uh, Dak Prescott finishes 31 of 36 for 279, four touchdowns, had a pick in there as well. Um, but Cap's an incredible statistical season for, for him, best of, the, of his career. C.D. Lamb, 13 catches for 98 yards and two scores as well. Dallas continues to beat up on the worst teams in the league. Yeah, and it, it was like a it was like a re, uh, a literal run back of the last time they played, where Washington hung tough for a long time, like made it a game, and then as soon as Dallas got out of sight, it just the floodgates opened. They, they absolutely put the hammer down. Like this was close for a long period of time. Um, there was a massive swing. Like so, Washington blocked a field goal, got a good return, like set up a sort of red zone opportunity absolute grind for them that they eventually get in uh, and score the the big swing though I think was Sam Howell's interception like he throws an interception C.D. Lamb scores a touchdown that was a huge swing in the wrong direction for them but like they were they were in this game for a long period of time and then as soon as Dallas got a sight of the victory it just it completely stopped being a contest um, I wanted to highlight some of the stuff on Dak because I think I'm just going to present the facts, and you can do what you want with them. Okay. Um, Bearing in mind it's, uh, it's voting day for all pro and uh, awards. So it's, this one's an interesting one because usually the, the MVP, it, the MVP is going to be a quarterback, and in, he'll double as the all pro. I think there's a case to split that. If you want to say Lamar's MVP you can, and say that Dak is the all pro quarterback, I think there's a case for that. Um, I think Dak would be in this MVP conversation in any other statistically he deserves to be in the MVP conversation no matter which way you break it down he's going to be first or second in PFF grade at the end of the week he was barely second in ESPN's QBR Um, and as we've already established leads the league in touchdowns leads the league in touchdown passes I think he's second in passer rating behind Brock Purdy so any of your traditional stats are fine and I'm trying to find the stat that I put out there um but as I mentioned, his high-end games have been incredible. The, the, all of the 90-plus games that he's had. And they've come against bad teams, though. That's the only thing, right? Yeah. And, and it, this is, like, legit, right? Anytime, it, it's a somewhat narrative-driven award. And anytime Dak had a chance to change the narrative, he really didn't do it. Yeah. And in the, in the couple times that he did may have been against the Eagles, 
And now maybe knowing what we know about the Eagles, it's less impressive. So his, his highest, let me just get his highest grades of the season. His highest grades of the season against the Commanders, Giants, Rams. Rams is the most impressive one. And they, you know, they're in the playoffs, but they're not great defensively. Patriots, Chargers, Commanders, Panthers, Seahawks. So of his seven best games, which are all really good, six are against teams that are picking in the top 10. So I went to looking, you know, like what, how's he doing against teams in the, in the top 10? He's like first or second in every major category. First in PFF grade, second in yards, first in touchdowns, first, you know, eight, 19 to three touchdown interception ratio. Um, so Dak's having a great season. He's doing most of his damage against bad teams. His worst games are some of the worst games any quarterback played any, this year. Not Maybe not statistically, because again, there's pushback for now. I've seen worse games. It, grading in the 40s, PFF grade, against the Cardinals, and then in the big games against the 49ers and the Bills, graded in the 40s. So I think, but, but throw for throw, he's probably the best quarterback in the league. The other thing I'll say, it doesn't, like I think there's value in playing well against bad teams. You have to win those games. He didn't play well in the Arizona game and they blew it, they lost. So there's value in beating up the bad teams. But when you're talking about the MVP, when you want to see a guy step up in the biggest game and do it on the big stage, uh, I think Dak had, you know, he had a nice game against Seattle on Thursday Night Football. He had the good games against the Eagles. But he really did most of his damage against the worst teams. And I think that's hurting him from an MVP conversation standpoint. But I could see the case when you say who's the best quarterback in the league this year, I could see you saying Dak Prescott, throw for throw, is the guy. And certainly when you contrast it with Lamar Jackson, who had like two of his best games against the two biggest tests they had in the season on the prime time. Was unstoppable against yeah. the best. Absolutely. In prime time, in signature moments, like he won MVP on those two games, basically. Yeah. Like he could have had a completely average season and those two games would have propelled him to the MVP conversation. So just wanted to touch on that. Um, Commanders, there'll be a, a huge story this offseason. Oh, so many fun offseason stories coming up here. Um, but Dallas, I love that they're playing the Packers. They're hosting them. Um, Jordan Love and company coming into town for a great round one matchup. Um, if Dallas wins and Detroit wins, if it goes chalk, it's Dallas hosting the Lions in round two, which of course would have been flipped if the refs you know, got the, got the thing right a couple Saturdays ago. But we'll get there when we get there. Anything else on this game? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, we saw this game already. A few weeks like, ago, it happened exactly the same as it happened the last time. Um, also, I mean, commanders were hanging tough early. Dak threw an early interception. It, it was it was a close game for a little bit. So that you know, you could have flashed back to week eighteen as I did on the preview show and say, hey, last year Dallas had a rough one, but it didn't matter because the Eagles lost too. So commanders, I'm sorry, Cowboys clinched that number two seed. All right, let's wrap it up. Sunday Night Football, the game of the week. Buffalo Bills 21, Miami Dolphins 14. Massive implications here. The Bills knew coming in because of the Jaguars' loss. The Bills knew they were making the playoffs. Yeah. But they didn't know if it was going to be the two seed or the seven seed. And I'm not going to lie. For much of this game, the Bills looked like both the two seed and the seven seed, the way they were playing. And it turns out the biggest play of the game ends up becoming Deontay Hardy, punt return. 96 yards 96 yards you're not even supposed to field punts inside the five Deontay Hardy 96 yard punt return to tie the game early in the fourth quarter at 14 and then Buffalo with a game-winning touchdown Josh Allen to Dawson Knox to go up 21 to 14 Tua throws an interception to end the game Taylor Rapp with a diving pick 
uh, fascinating back and forth game here between the Bills and the Dolphins. Yeah, it's funny. We've we've been focused. Like the the Bills dug themselves such a deep hole earlier in the season that we've been focused so so long on how they're not what they were supposed to be that they've ended up where they were supposed to be. Okay, it took them until the very last game to make it happen. But if you sort of zoom out and say preseason expectations relative to now, they finished with what eleven wins. They're the two seed. They won the division. Those are all things that were supposed to happen to start the year. And it's just that they started off where they were five and five or whatever. They, they dug themselves such a deep hole that you're like, ah, they're, they're way underachieving relative to expectations. So actually, they've ended up basically right where they were supposed to be, albeit via this ridiculous circuitous route, which even in this game took some meandering before they finally got there. They really did. I mean, the Bills, um, they moved the ball extremely well. This has been a story this entire season, and then the turnovers killed them. You had a miscommunication on the goal line, interception by Josh Allen. There was a fourth and two that he heaved in the end zone for an interception. Interception. I mean, the, the realist turnover that he had was uh, Christian Wilkins sacking him and just taking the ball out of his hands, again, what in the red zone. Wilkins. Unbelievable play by Christian Wilkins. I think the, like, the actual force part of the fumble was just sort of routine. He went in for the tackle, and his hand punched the ball out. I don't think that was necessarily a peanut punch. But realizing on the way to the ground that the ball was out and trappable by his other arm and just sort of snagging it and falling over was amazing. Some of the things pro athletes can do in real time is actually unbelievable. I mean, that that, there's also the Trent Sherfield catch, which is another example of that, right? Ball, he's in in the back of the end zone. The ball beans off Andrew Van Ginkle's head and starts looping over the back of him towards out of the back of the end zone. He's able to track it track it over his head and like stop his feet at the back of the end zone, lean over and snag a ball that's deflected off somebody's helmet and make a touchdown catch. Ball's I mean, in the air forever. Yeah, they, incredible reaction play by, by Trent Sherfield. They, they showed Mike McDaniel like reacting to that, just absolute disbelief. Like how did he just do that? Uh, there was some, some crazy plays in this game. Um, so the follow from this, Buffalo's going to get the two seed. They're going to host the Steelers. Um, Miami was playing to try to have a rematch at home. Instead, they're going to fall to the sixth seed, and they're going to Kansas City. As I said an hour and a half ago, it's uh, 10 degrees is the forecast on Saturday night. Lows under, uh, below zero. So the, the narrative of the Florida team going to the super cold weather is going to be a fun one this week. Um, the other narrative aspect of this, you know, again, Miami's had an excellent season. They're going to finish 11-6, and six, make the playoffs for the second straight year. But... Can they beat the good teams, right? Can they win the important games? Beat Dallas a few weeks ago, but Baltimore waxes them last uh, last week, and then they lose at home to Buffalo, gets swept by the Bills now during the regular season. Um, Tyreek Hill made some big plays, but then on the biggest play of the game, which ended up the game-ending interception, Tyreek misses the play because he gets hurt. He got um, kind of thrown into coverage the previous play Mm. Tyreek Hill misses multiple plays every single game with injuries Um, Jalen Waddell missed this game for the Dolphins Raheem Mostert misses the game pretty banged up yeah and then Andrew Van Ginkle comes out they were down to their last two edge rushers that were on the roster and that they were the the aging Hulk of Melvin Ingram 
who ends up in coverage one on one down the field against was it Dawson Knox or Dalton Kincaid? It's like him and him and Michael Hoyt maybe have the yeah. wrong uh, listed weights. They and switched then, listed weights. And then Emmanuel Nobody Ogba understands what that means, but Emmanuel Ogba is the other one. So yeah. those are the two edge rushers that they're left with for the rest of this game, and who knows how far beyond that. The Dolphins lose. They lost Jalen Phillips a few weeks back. Bradley Chubb for the season. Bradley Chubb for the season in the blowout against the Ravens, and then Van Ginkle. In this game, yeah, three really good edge defenders, three really good players. So that leaves Ogba and Ingram going up against the Chiefs next week. I don't even know who's going to be healthy. Christian uh, Wilkins, I fear. I mean, in college, Kristen Wilkins had to kick outside and play on the edge at Clemson when they had injuries. They, <laughs> they really might again. have to do that in this game. Um, Christian Benford had a fantastic game, and he's on a run now of like the back half of the season. Christian Benford has been playing amazingly well for Buffalo at corner, which is pretty needy given the injuries they've had to the back seven. Um, We should also talk a little bit about the end of this game because it was some fascinating situations. Buffalo get fourth and one from their own 35-yard line with a few minutes to go. Go for it. And that's a – it's one where the analytics says go, and most – it would be one of those ones where – I think that's a good example of where the analytics says go and, and the more conservative slanted people would look at that and go, mm, I don't know, you're on 35, you blow this, Miami's set up, it's, you know, they go for it, they get it, they chew another few minutes off the clock with that, with that specific play. Um, Allen has this monstrous third and 13 run. Unreal. Where, was, I don't, was that a, that wasn't called, right? He just decided quite early scramble. to bail on it. Right? Scramble, yeah. Scrambles beats two or three guys, launches himself at the first down marker after the contact, gets it. Um, and that was after a delay of game penalty coming out of a timeout or something. So they put themselves in this really big hole, third and 13, and Allen just goes, screw it, I'm doing it myself. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. I got this. Amazing Josh Allen play. Um, and then, then they went for it again on fourth and one didn't get it this time and gave Miami an opportunity, which they ended up squandering. On the first fourth and one sneak, Allen was, he leaped over the line. And so he did it, he did it with the ball tucked instead of reaching, right. which uh, you reach at the goal line, you know, the play is dead. You don't worry about fumble. And this one, he leaped, tucked it, kind of crowd surfed a little bit on the first one, got carried forward and they made it. This one, he tried to go over the top again, but the Dolphins were ready for it. The Bills were doing this sort of, half-ass version of the push thing right where there are guys lined up in push position but they're not doing a good job of the pushing like i don't it should be fairly simple i know look there's it can't be that comfortable to like insert your hands directly under the buttocks of the quarterback and heave right but ultimately that's how you got to do this and it's not like the nfl doesn't already have some questionable hand to hoop connections when it comes to you know under center at the snap etc you just gotta you gotta accept your hand is going somewhere unpleasant and you know deal with it right Leonard Fournette needs to drive his power right up the hoop of Josh Allen and launch him over the line instead I think it was on the failed one right Leonard Fournette's like running around the side somewhere while Allen is getting buried at the line and not getting there the Eagles have this mastered how does nobody else spend a little bit of time practicing, look, right up there. I know. Peyton Manning was pointing this out on the, the Manning cast. Look, you got to get your hands right up in there. Maybe Peyton for uh, next commander's coach, and they'll 
Peyton was coaching his kids team how to do the push play, only it was illegal at that level. So, you know, Peyton knows. That's messed up. The kids kids need to learn. I mean, Peyton was trying to make that point to the the kids' league, and they they said, no, you can't do that. (laughs) It's very much illegal at this level. Um, Game-ending interception was Tua throwing the ball to Chase Claypool, Mm. and uh, Taylor Rapp broke on it. Uh, Tua's got those questions, right? Crunch time. Must pass situations. It is yeah. Tyree Kill, Jalen. Some of my takeaways here. I, look, I think Tyree Kill's fantastic. I think he's an absolute game changer. Um, he's actually let down to a, a bunch these last couple weeks, right? He had that pass in the end zone against the Ravens that he didn't haul in. He had another one up the seam that he didn't catch in this one. It goes both ways. But I think my big takeaway is Jalen Waddle missed this game, and so when Jalen Waddle's out or Tyree Kill's out. You're now you're looking at River Craycraft and Durham Smythe. Like those are the guys getting Cedric yeah. Wilson. Those are the other guys getting right. the targets. Braxton Berrios. Clearly, it's a much better t- uh, team when you have Tyree Hill and Jalen Waddle, and it's two guys that you have to worry about speed wise. And so I think they really need Waddle back for the playoffs. I mean, they certainly need one of them on the field at any given moment. Like, yeah, look, it. it there's debate as to how much of that was Tua's fault and how much of that was a bad route by Claypool. To be honest, I'm not sure you could pay me to throw a ball to chase Claypool in a critical crunch situation late in the game. Sure. I just wouldn't trust him to be in the right place at the right time. And I think there's a good argument he wasn't in the right place at the right time and made this throw look a lot worse than it was. Uh, but you can definitely say, look, Waddle wasn't in the game uh, or wasn't in wasn't playing in the game. Tyreek Hill wasn't in the game at that point. Who should he have thrown it to? Like, it's not like he had an amazing I mean, array even of on options. the play, it was, ba- was two-man, right, by the Bills. Everybody was locked up in man coverage. Right. And when you're down I – mean, I made this statement a couple weeks ago on the podcast, and people were like, you're an idiot, Steve. I said, throwing a game-ending interception isn't the worst thing in the world through the perspective of whether you lose the game on, like, fourth down failure or an interception doesn't really matter. A loss is a loss. So at that point in the game, when you're down seven, you probably you're pro- you're gonna have to make some tight window throws. You're gonna have to take some chances, and whether the game ends on an interception or an incompletion is really irrelevant. Um, again, it doesn't. I thought it was more maybe just a great play by Rap than anything. He broke on that thing immediately. Did an awesome job playing off the leverage of the corner, knowing the scheme, knowing where Tua was going. Um, so either way, I mean, there's still questions about the Dolphins beating good teams, beating them in crunch time. I know they did it against Dallas, but against these top AFC teams, they have not had a great season and now have to go to Kansas City on Saturday night. Yeah, not a fun place to go, even with the Chiefs struggling the way they have been. Is that it? I believe so. Is that it for the regular season? Yeah. I think we hit all the games. It's in the books. Well. 272? um, Is that it? 280. Yeah, 272? I don't know, whatever it is. 276? A lot of games we've talked 200 about. 200 and something. Good job. Um, so, yeah, on a personal note, I might be out the rest of the week. But um, we'll have replacements. You'll be here every day. Yeah, as always. Here. And um, so we'll get plenty of podcasts. We'll still we'll preview all the, the wild card games on Thursday still. Um, but for a lot of teams, it's off-season time. And uh, a lot of fun to be able to look forward to team-building decisions, free agency, the draft, some of our favorite stuff coming up here Mm -hmm. go play with your mock draft simulator now if your team's eliminated over at pff.com and uh, please vote for us for the best american football podcast links in the description Mm -hmm. that it yep good we out all right enjoy the national title game tonight you're gonna watch probably
I just probably gonna have to talk about it tomorrow. You gotta block off four and a half hours for that. Oh one. god, it's no. such a long, it's a long game, long halftime. We got the bands, a lot of ads. I'm gonna be like Al from baseball. Game's gonna be over about one fifteen. Stop. You know, it goes late. It goes late. Past midnight. It's going past midnight. Great. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you again tomorrow with more PFF NFL podcast.